is coming down from the gallows and I don't have very Welcome to episode 51 of the UK Pittsburgh Steelers podcast. Uh, you joined as always by me, Sam with Stanley, and the three amigos, Rich Setrode, Dave Hart, and Gavin Marshall. How are you doing, guys? Too bad. Yeah, good. Doing well. You join us here today. Uh, we're going to have a guest on a little bit later, um, a very special guest. Uh, before we do that, though, um, we'll go through some of the usual pieces. Um, housekeeping, first of all, Jason's uh, the Facebook czar over on the UK Steelers Facebook page. The polls are still running for the uh, the best Steelers game of all time. Um, there's plenty to check out there uh, in terms of video and and uh, game recaps that they've spent a lot of time writing. So go check that out. Um, Just give us some homework there, man. There's a there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff to go through there, man. It's, it's there like a whole a, separate job. There really is. There's a lot of. Uh, I mean, if you want to, I mean, if you really want to deep dive, I mean, he's got like links to the games and highlights and stuff, right? So. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you can set aside a couple hours there if you want to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I was thinking, I, I sort of started to wade into it and I thought, I'm not sure I have enough time. So I kind of I, I kind of clicked a few games that I remembered and then I kind of think, oh, I'll leave it. I'll, 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 I'll join, rejoin in the later rounds. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, You're a busy man, Gav, you know. No work yeah. right now. Who, who, who could possibly be busier? Well, yeah, exactly. You, but you fill out your time, don't you? That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Waxing floors, all sorts. <laughs> uh, right. Anyway, before we get to our guest, um, let's get into the usual bits and pieces. So let's uh, let's hit the news. Oh yeah. Okay. We have, oh, we have music now. That's right. <laughs> Top of the news. <laughs> we uh, we have now upped our budget. This, yeah, this this has gone from a low tier to a mid tier podcast, guys. Have we, have we paid for this sound clip, or is this just something no, you've stolen off the internet? Best not to question that, Dave. I hocked <laughs> my my family heirloom gold sovereign, and and I, I traded that for some sound drops. So I hope you enjoy. <laughs> uh, the news this week, and the first one dropped um, sort of literally 10, 15 minutes before that we started recording the podcast. Me and Gav were talking about it a little bit earlier. Um, the Steelers kind of made a bit of a, what I thought was a bit of a strange signing. Gav was apparently more up to date than this with this than I was because he was in for a practice early. We've signed wide receiver Ray Ray McLeod. Um, so he's on the Mount Rushmore of good names in the NFL. Um, I thought this was kind of a, an odd signing. McLeod was a, a sixth round selection by the Bills in 2018. Uh, he was cut after one season. He spent last year on their practice squad after a brief stint in Carolina. Uh, you might remember McLeod as he had three muffed punts uh, in two games against the Bucks when he played for Carolina, one of which was in London. So a bit of a connection there for the UK fans in case you saw that game. Uh, he's 23 years old, five foot nine, 190 pounds, kind of known as a, a speedy guy, uh, a dynamic guy, possibly a returner. So there's a chance that he kind of fights for that job. Um, possibly some competition for Switzer or, or maybe Dion Kane to push him off the end of the roster, Dave, if that worries you at all? Um, I've no, I know nothing about Ray Ray McLeod, despite <laughs> his wonderful name. So I can't really comment on him at the moment. <laughs> Gav, what are your thoughts on uh, on Ray Ray? I know you had some... Yeah, well, he was uh, he was one of those... Every, every draft class, there's always some later rounds, guys, um, particularly with the wide receivers that you kind of they kind of stand out to you. And he, he was one I kind of was ho- secretly hoping he was going to get picked up by the Steelers that year. And I, I was quite excited. But um, 
there were four names actually that tried out and um he was kind of the although he was the sixth round pick he was the one i was hoping for the the other player that they they had in was the third round guy Rashawn golden who i don't know if they're going to sign or not but um i don't know if any of you saw i tweeted out a, a clip of him he actually knocked out devin funches in in uh practice a couple of years ago and and has got some other massive red flags to start being a very talented safety slash kind of uh, inside box defender. So um, I'd be interested to see if they go with him because he's got talent, um, whether they can control his other off the field or on the field kind of discrepancies. He would be, he'd be an interesting player. So let's see what happens there. But yeah, very excited about Ray Ray. I think he could be, you know, he could stick around. I think uh, this spells the end for those kind of Darbo and, and Blattnall truthers. Um, it looks like I, I think he's probably going to slot in above them in, in the pecking order. Um, I saw an interesting tweet, though, from at uh, Tommy Jaggy on Twitter. He goes, Steelers new wide receiver Ray Ray McLeod averaged 8.2 yards per punt return last year. Ryan Switzer averaged 3.6. I don't mm-hmm. think the Switzer's in jeopardy of losing his job, but it's interesting to note. So, you know, I, I, I've mentioned his issues with fumbling. That would concern me greatly, but maybe this is a guy they want to stash on the practice squad and, and see if they can work that out of him. Because uh, he showed some, some flashes early on in the Bills and, and Panthers. Yeah, I, I, we've got to talk about Switzer, haven't we? Yeah, so well, that was going to be my next point. So I'm going to run through some training camp bits, right? We'll, we'll start with uh, with Switzer because he's kind of the talk of the town right now, um, desperately trying to prove us wrong on this podcast. Uh, Switzer's apparently lighting it up. Um, Matt Caboli, the Athletic, says it's it's not even close who looks better between him and, and Dion Kane. So again, more shots being taken at Dion Kane this week, Dave. Um, it's, they're different people, mate. Brian Switzer and Dion just saying. Apparently, he looks way more dynamic. Um, and uh, Mike Tomlin had this to say when asked about Ryan Switzer in the slot role. He brings he brings big time experience to that position. Not only NFL playing experience, but uh, college playing experience. Uh, I've seen him in that position some in Heinz Field when he played at UNC. Um, he's a guy that understands that that's a a niche for him. So. You know, he, he embraces the detail required to, to be successful in there. He'll continue to carve out his role in this process like everybody else is, but he does bring that unique experience uh, to that position specifically. So there you go. I mean, who else? Obviously, uh, you know, Juju's in the slot. Who else, who else would you have in front of Switzer in the slot there? It's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, and I think, you know, this, this is this is what I've been saying, right? We've all been so down on Switzer, and, and rightfully so, but this dude is going to have a role in this team, and I've been saying it all along. Um, and I, I think that's pretty clear. It's, hard, it's always hard to decipher what Mike Tomlin says, right, in these conferences, but, you know, I, I think he's playing his cards close, as close to his chest as he can, but it, it seems pretty clear to me that he's got a role in this team. Yeah, I don't think we can, we can write him off. It seems like, uh, you know, he's got a connection with Ben off the field and on the field, and, you know, that, that connection just wasn't there with Mason or with Duck. So mm. perhaps, you know, and the start of, you know, we only saw him with Ben beginning of last season. Ben was not right. The season before it was his first season, got traded over. So, you know, mate, he, he's been humbled, right? The fan base is on his case. So maybe we should give him another chance. You know, maybe, you know, if he, if he makes this roster, we should all get behind him. And hope hope things turn out, and then you know if they, if they don't turn out, then we'll all could be you know with the flaming pitchforks uh, <laughs> next off season. Hey, what's to say that Ryan Switzer won't take the comeback player of the year crown away from Alex Smith? Yeah, if if he proves something, I'll get behind him. But I'm still I'm still not buying a Switzerberg T-shirt. <laughs> I'm not going that far. 
<laughs> he looks Jack though all of a sudden, right? I don't know if it's just because he shaved his head, but the dude looks like, you know, muscly as all hell. Um, he's dropped some weight as well. I think he's dropped about what, eight pounds or something. I read somewhere. I can't remember exactly. He's dropped yeah. dropped a little bit of weight as well. So a little bit smaller, a little bit bit quicker, I suppose. He's, all adds to it. He's toning himself up for the bowling ball team, I think, Dave. Uh, I, I, I don't know, man. No, I'm not feeling that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it took a second for me to even realise there was a bowling ball being played there. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're doing big investments in sound effects. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, what do you think? Any? Are you going to back the, the Switzer train this year? You know, I'm going to sit back and, and just wait and see. Because the guys obviously realized he needed to transform himself and be a better player. He gained muscle but, but dropped weight. You know, gained muscle to gain strength and dropped weight to gain quickness. You know, which is impressive. You know, and he's he's taking it he's taking it very seriously. So um, the effort is there. He doesn't have much competition, you know, depending on how they use Juju. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, I, I like the fact that he's, he's, you know, he seems like his attitude's different. Not that he ever had a bad attitude, but it seems like he's, he's really taking this year uh, seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, I'm going to run through some other smaller training camp bits and pieces. You know, you can take a lot of these with a, a pinch of salt, but uh, I think there's a few interesting tidbits being thrown out there by various people. Um, firstly, Derek Watt is getting high praise from Danny Smith uh, for what he brings on special teams. There's talk of him potentially replacing uh, Matakevich's production after we lost him last year. Talk of him maybe even being the special teams captain. Um, thoughts on that? Special teams captain Derek Watt that early? Well, I can see it. I mean, they both, him and, and Matakevich, led the NFL in special teams tackles last mm. year. So they've just gone, all right, let's 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 get in a special teams demon who's got another role. So actually, it's, it's sort of like streamlining, isn't it? They've yeah. got a you know great special teamer and they've kind of combined uh, Dirty Red and Rosie Nix into one guy. So that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he plays like a what, apparently. So uh, I don't see why not. <laughs> Is that a rhyme that you just came up with? A on rhyming the fly, off the top of the dome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally agree. I love that move. Um, I'm also hearing that Big Ben apparently has a, a quote-unquote tighter spiral, uh, ooh, uh, um, according to Tomlin. Uh, he's looking trim. Um, Caboli was also praising him profusely after Wednesday's practice, saying he was pinpoint accurate all over the field and looked far better than just fine after an elbow injury. So um, are we buying or selling the, uh, the Big Ben revenge tour right now based on what we see in the first three days of training camp? I'm buying. I'll, I'll I'll tentatively buy it, but at the same time, it's all it's a lot of it's pomp, isn't it? It's sort of puffing your chest out. But I'll buy it. Not sure uh, Ben uh-huh. could have puffed, puffed his chest out uh, five weeks ago, but okay, Rich. <laughs> yeah, I'm buying it. I'm on board. Definitely. Okay, we're all on board for the the Big Ben Revenge Tour. Nice. Can I ask? Did 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 all of you sort of tune in? I think I shared it to you before. Did, I, did you tune in to the training camp live? All excited to to watch like seven on seven drills and all that. You know, and then uh, yeah. were savagely disappointed by what you saw. <laughs> Same as me. <laughs> just, just it's just uh, you know, uh, Missy and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, Pursuit uh, just at their desk, just talking with like a few cutaways of some people running. Wasn't really what I was hoping for. It was kind of a bit of a letdown. Uh, it, it's just tough this year. You know, I'm used to more reports coming out and people, you know, people are actually there at training camp sending stuff. So it just seems like what we're getting is is team reports, right? The, the team are sending out a kind of press release and that's where all these things are coming. So 
it's kind of tricky to wade through. I don't know what you think. I mean, it's almost like you've got to kind of find out who's not being mentioned because they're having a bad camp or whatever, yeah. rather than all these kind of praise and everyone looks fitter and everyone is playing better than they've ever played before. Um, the only the only one the only negative one I've seen is Mason. Yeah, I saw that. that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently had a really bad third day of practice. Um, didn't complete any passes in his, his hurry up drill. So that's that's concerning. Yeah. Yeah, especially with you know Ben's out there throwing dimes and, and Mason looks like trash. It's 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 an even harsher comparison, you know, compared to last year. So, yeah, concerning. But um, just in reference to what you're saying, though, yeah, I mean, you got you got minimal people allowed in the building, right? So, I know everyone doesn't have access to it, but but the athletic, I think, are doing a pretty good job of recapping training camp each day. Um, so that's maybe worth taking a look if you're interested in that. Um, you want a bit of sauce, though, Gav? You want a bit of sauce, on, you know, to go with your fries? Then uh, TJ Watt and Zach Banner got into a bit of a disagreement on the field. Heated words were exchanged. Who's uh, winning that fight, do you reckon? <laughs> that's what, exactly what I was going to ask. <laughs> uh, I just don't think Banner has the speed to, to, to deal with TJ. Yeah, he's got that straight-line power, though. Yeah, well, he'd be, yeah. He'd be a risk. It's like a fight between a bear and a tiger, isn't it? It's just sort of... <laughs> nice. Each one has their own strengths, but which one's going to win out of the two of them? I don't know. I think a tiger beats a bear every time, right? I don't know, man. I don't know, man. Bear's pretty damn strong. I wouldn't want to be attacked by a bear. Mm, yeah, but it's not agile enough to deal a with a tiger, either, right? Honestly. I don't know. Tiger or bear, Rich? You know what? Neither one is a picnic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's but, a good take. Uh, if I were... Wow. I don't know. You know, I don't. That's you're 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 done either way, but um, yeah, I agree with Dave. It just depends on how the fight goes. You know, if it goes to the ground, you got to give uh, Banner the the um the advantage. If it stays on their feet, I, I'll take uh, TJ. But I you know, I, I don't know because I the way I'm thinking about this now is that I actually think I thought about it in terms of Rich. Right, if Rich was to fight a tiger, I don't think he's got a shot. But I reckon Rich could maybe wrestle a bear. <laughs> I'm not sure, man. Remember that story that those two German campers were found with no faces because a bear had bitten their faces off? Yeah, any old animal can I, eat a face. Yeah, I don't know, man. I could, I could yeah. eat a face, Gav. <laughs> yeah, slowly, if you served down with a napkin, a knife and fork. This was like in a, you know, 10 seconds, he chewed both their faces oh, off. You know, what did I say to you guys? I said, let's not talk about face eating on the episode with the guest. And here we are. Um... <laughs> Let's go on to some uh, some injury news. Speaking of uh, you know facial injuries, uh, I think we've been quite lucky, right? We've been hearing uh, injury news from around the league. It's, you know, it struck uh, Gerald McCoy. Um, it, you know, it struck a few key players around the league. Uh, we had a bit of a scare on Tuesday, I believe, when Kevin Dotson, uh, the sixth round sixth round rookie, um, left uh, practice with a knee injury. There was kind of that nervous waiting period where we thought maybe it was going to be a major kind of ACL in- injury or MCL injury. Uh, the indication is that he's it's, it's, it's avoided a serious injury. It's, it's not too serious. He, he's out of practice, but he's you know he's standing by his own volition on the sideline. So that's good news. David DeCastro misses all three days of practice with an undisclosed injury. But again, Tomlin says that's not too serious. Uh, but speaking of serious injuries, the Artie Burns curse has struck again. Um, not Steelers related anymore, but um, Artie Burns out for the season with a torn ACL in Chicago. So the curse is real. It is real. It's, it's sad for him. He's, he's, had a, he's had a tough time in Pittsburgh and he's sort of gone for a new start and fallen at the first hurdle, hasn't he? It's, it's, yeah. it's, I feel bad for him. Yeah. I'll tell you who else was injured was uh, Javon Hargrave. Did you hear that? Yeah. 
Um, yeah. What's the prognosis on that? Didn't hear. No. Sorry, not uh, not listening to uh, Eagles Depot, <laughs> but um, it did it did uh, remind me that PFF top twenty five interior linemen, number six Cam Haywood, number ten Javon Hargrave, number eleven Stefan Tuit. So just what a, what a trio the Steelers had last year. Um, I think Tuit probably be higher than that given more more of a snaps last year but yeah. um just it goes to show what what a great unit and i think bugs is going to be great as well really so um i no, think so although we, not, we haven't, yet, so, no, we haven't. Yeah. it's true so, yeah. i'm hoping but, he can um, yeah. step up this year maybe but you know with that, that obvious gap in the middle but yeah. time i'll tell you happen. who we have we have heard about um is ola being in great shape mm-hmm. and looks like he's winning that uh outside linebacker three spot mm-hmm. um and highsmith getting some praise although Nothing about Skipper. So at the moment, he looks looks like the odd man out after two or three days of padded practice. Mm. Yeah, a, a few of them, just, just tan- tangentially, um, Ulysses Gilbert third has been getting quite a, a lot of praise with the buzz that I'm hearing. Um, you know, people saying that they're feeling more confident about him as kind of the backup in the middle there. Yeah. Um, so, 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 you know, that's a good sign because, you know, that is that area where you really look at it and, and there's a sincere lack of depth. You know, if one of those, if Vince, Vincenzo Williams or... Uh, you know, if one of those guys goes out, we're in real trouble, right, Devin Bush? So yeah, yeah. UG three had a pick and a pass breakup. Yeah, and yeah. so that's pretty good in 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 not much practice at all, really. The, the sort of, I mean, we've all we, the thing is we know he's good in coverage. The thing, the knock on him was a kind of lack of size, lack of physicality. So it, hope for hoping these, you know, had two years. This would be a second year in the system. We can kind of bulk up and get some of that NFL shape going on, and we could be a real player. Could stick around for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the last bit of news I want is there anything on training camp you want to hit before I move on? Um, only, but we we haven't we sort of buried the lead about all the buzz about Claypool. Yes, yes, of course, yeah, yeah. Went over a big one over uh, Hayden, I hear. And seven shots. So if you that's 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 big time. Because seven shots is like the real Mike Tomlin kind of judge of things, isn't it? I'm sure you know, but maybe some listeners don't. Like at end of every padded practice they do seven shots which is almost like a penalty shootout it's seven uh, seven red zone uh, shots um, in a row and it's kind of who wins so it's usually you know it's just like who wins offense or defense so if you if you can and, and it's high pressure and there's a lot of pre- you know importance put on it for the whole squad so if you can do well in that then you're doing well and you know, players that impress there often get snaps so the fact that he caught a TD on Joe Hayden in seven shots is is big news really mm. Uh, oh, actually, that reminded me. Um, Tomlin's been showing a lot of interest in in the tight ends. Apparently, spending a lot of time over by that area of the field, um, which has kind of made me think that maybe Vance McDonald has a little bit more of a role on this team than maybe I would have thought. Uh, I, I mean, I know we spoke about you know two tight end sets and and that being the potential this year, but it seems like that might really be the way we go in. And apparently, he's focusing a lot on the blocking drills with the tight ends as well. So, um, Ebron especially in that. So it sounds like that might be the way that we go in this year. Yeah, it's exciting, especially as well, Matt Canada, who's um, basically been brought in to bring in disguise, motion, misdirection mm-hmm. into the offense. So it's exciting times. We move into a two tight end with a load of window dressing, players moving around, Juju in the backfield. Uh, it's going to be interesting offense, I think, this year. Is, is that maybe why we sign in these guys? Because, you know, we want to confuse them with the names as well. You know, where's Ray Ray, where's Juju? <laughs> Can't keep up anymore. Uh, I'm sure that isn't a factor, but let's, let's, <laughs> we can say it is. 
<laughs> okay, moving on from training camp, the, the main NFL thing I wanted to talk about was Sean Payton's suggestion that there may be a, an NFL bubble after all. Um, we all know the bubble going on in the, uh, well, kind of in the MLB, right? Is it the MLB? or uh, Sorry, the NHL, the bubble. NBA and the NHL. NBA and the NHL. Thank you, Rich. Um there was no N- N- uh, sorry. There was no NFL bubble uh, planned, but Sean Payton has brought up the idea of a postseason bubble, um, which to me actually seems like a really sensible idea, right? You know, we we get these teams through, maybe have a bit of a gap after the regular season, perhaps, and and then set up a bubble um, because you know that's when it starts getting really high stakes, right? And you know, as uh, I think Philip Rivers quite r- rightly pointed out, what if someone you know hits the COVID list the week of the Super Bowl? You know, what what if a quarterback hits the COVID list the week of the Super Bowl? That that tarnishes the whole thing. So. You know, I, I think it's a pretty sensible idea. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think they should do the bubble in London. Oh. <laughs> so is, is, is it a bubble sort of extending the gap between the regular season and the postseason? Is that the idea? Well, it, it's not been formulated yet, to be fair. You know, there's not been an announcement. They're not definitely doing this. This is just being officially taken under consideration. So I don't know that they necessarily have all the the answers yet but but i would assume that you would have to do you know a bit of a gap like you say maybe a week or two weeks between uh, the end of the regular season and the start of the postseason if you're going to do this i'm not sure how that would work because like you're going to start getting more and more players trying to sneak girls in the hotel room surely um <laughs> I, I don't know it, it's the, the more time you give young guys time to do what they want to do the more you're asking for trouble i think i yeah. think there's a lot of people that be sensible but I think there's a few that probably start breaking rules. I'm sure there will be, but you know, I think the NBA have dealt with it, right? And they've been in Orlando, they've been in Disneyland. They've kept them entertained yeah. long enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 I don't think they'd end up anywhere as exciting as that, though. It would be like some conference center where they can put up like I don't know, I mean, ninety times twelve teams or whatever. Maybe not as glamorous. Oh, be somewhere like uh, I don't know. It'll, Ohio be, it'll, it'll be it'll be in Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cool. That's all I really have for the news. Then, Any, anything I've missed from the old uh, the old three amigos? There was there was, there was some pop about Des to the Ravens. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought about talking about that, but but uh, you know, Ian Rapport's come out and said that that's basically uh, not happening, or at least there's no offer on the table. I actually picked up Des in a fantasy league. Kind of, uh, I think I dropped Darius Geis right after all his troubles, so um, I had a free space. Um, but I I don't know, man. Does Dez still have it? I mean, why has he not been signed for the last two years? Yeah. Definitely definitely been in decline when he was last playing, wasn't he? He was getting mm. slow. It's just unlucky what happened to him at the Saints, really. Yeah. It's, it's a good point about uh, the Ravens, though. I mean, they would consider Antonio Brown as well, right? They, they strike you as a little bit desperate to have some kind of high-end receiver in there or big-name receiver. I don't know what's going on over there. Maybe it's just, I mean, who's their most experienced receiver in that, in that room? I mean... Mm. Uh, What's the uh, who's the guy that used to be on the the Saints? He's probably the one. Can't think of his name now. Sneed. Sneed, yeah, Sneed. Yeah, Sneed. He's probably the most experienced receiver, right? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, well, that's kind of a weird offense, isn't it? You know, not 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 so much a passing offense traditionally. They got Hollywood Brown, who strikes me as a bit of an odd fit, to be honest. But mm. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he is. He's a vital part of that offense because they they. Dunk and dink you so bad with those three tight ends in the back yeah. out of the backfield, and then you get used to that, and then Brown goes deep, and he's touchdown. Uh, yeah. He had that great start, didn't he? And he kind of faded off a little bit last season. Mm-hmm. Did have a few injuries? I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I hope he doesn't pop off. 
<laughs> be yeah. good for next Antonio Brown. Uh, but, you know, time will tell on that. Okay, let's wrap up the news there then. Um, we're going to go try and join our guest. Um, so we're going to pop this off. You'll hear a little whoosh sound, no doubt. Uh, and then we'll be back with you with our guest of honour today. Okay, and welcome back to the UK Steelers podcast. We're joined now, as I mentioned earlier, by Daniel Kelly. It's a very special treat. Former NFL scout uh, who worked for the New York Jets and author of his book, Whatever It Takes. So thanks so much for joining us, Daniel. Hey, thank you guys for having me on. It's it's uh, truly a privilege. I'm coming to you live from Key West, Florida. Oh, nice. That's a nice part of the world, man. It is, absolutely. This is <laughs> kind truly, of humid right now, but beautiful. Truly an international podcast now. We've got California on one end, we've got Florida on the other, and then we're in the UK. We've got York. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I used to be in New York, so that it works It works out well. I haven't been to the UK yet, uh, but, but and my wife's from California, so we got we got everything going here. <laughs> Amazing. So, um, I mean, there's, there's so much to go over with you, Daniel. I mean, I, I suppose I should probably start by saying uh, we first sort of got visibility of you when, when you messaged us and, and we read over your really interesting story on Sports Illustrated that, w- that was written about you, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it'd be, it'd be super great for us to kind of go into your story of kind of uh, your early days and, and becoming a scout. So uh, I know you've got some kind of interesting p- bits and pieces uh, in terms of uh, getting into NFL scouting and I think that really resonates especially with sort of fans from the UK um, because we kind of view it in a similar way to I think you did it's kind of an adopted passion for us you know um, mm-hmm. American football over here is getting a lot a lot bigger than it used to be but it's certainly not the biggest sport in the country so you know a lot of us kind of view it as outsiders looking in um, as opposed to a lot of kind of employees in football and in scouting departments so um, you know, tell us about your kind of early days of how you got into football to begin with and, and where this took you. Uh, absolutely, guys. Um, and to our listeners, uh, it, it really started for me back when I was uh, just a little boy. I was I was eight years old, uh, growing up in a very small town in, in Minnesota in, in the United States. And, um, and my, my parents were fanatical Minnesota Vikings fans. And, and one day they had a, a playoff game on in, in an old RCA television, the corner of the living room. Um, and I talk about this in my book, Whatever It Takes. And it was just kind of like they, they had the game on. They were playing against the Washington Redskins. And it was love at first sight for me, guys. Guys, but not for the hometown Minnesota Vikings, but rather for the Washington Redskins. <laughs> I was, I was, I was captivated. I, I was uh, magnetized. I was uh, in love, uh, if you could uh, say that. It was just something like you know when it, when a person falls in love with somebody that was love at first sight. That that that's how it was for me. Uh, the the team, the colors, the 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 uh, you know RFK Stadium. Joe Gibbs, uh, John Riggins, my favorite player of all time. I was uh, again eight years old. I was I was hooked. Uh, two weeks later, the Redskins won Super Bowl seventeen. Um, and, um, and, and my favorite player of all time, like I mentioned, John Riggins scored the winning touchdown. And it kind of took off from there. Uh, the next year, I mean, I, I and I and I really got into it big time. I mean, the next year when I was nine years old, the Redskins lost Super Bowl eighteen to the Raiders, uh, thirty-eight to nine. And how hard did I take the game? Well, I uh, threw up and I missed three days of school. <laughs> so <laughs> I was uh, I still have nightmares about Marcus Allen uh, reversing his field and, and taking off. I, I'm like, get him! You know, I was like, they, they don't tackle him though. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, and from that point, my passion just grew and grew. I mean, every birthday every every holiday christmas whatever i would ask my grandmother um uh, you know for something redskins i i you know over the years i accumulated uh, redskins posters and and trading cards and and pen
pendants and and jerseys and 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 my room just became like a redskin shrine um you know i i, I was you know i it was way back in the day way before the internet and all that or way before direct tv with the sunday ticket i would sit there with a little like am radio and try to scan through the stations and fight through the static to even hear the redskins score of the game because up in minnesota they, they only played like you know vikings games or, or teams of local interest maybe like the packers or bears or something like that uh so so i i fought through the static and 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 i i was i was like i said i was fanatical i, I was all all in and all out uh for the redskins and um at 13 years old i had a chance to go to my first game when the uh, Redskins came to town uh, against the Minnesota Vikings and I was dressed in Redskins from head to toe. I had war paint on my face. I had a Redskins jersey on. I had the big foam hand and there was 58,000 guys and, 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 uh, and women and, and dressed in purple. And, and it was one, one of me. And so I, I learned to take, <laughs> I, I learned to take on the crowd at a very early age. And, uh, you know, people were like screaming and hollering at me. And I was, of course, I was, I was whooping it up for the Redskins and they loved me for that, uh, you know, LOL. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> it was, it was, it was incredible. And, and so my passion just continued to grow. I, I would write letters to uh, Joe Gibbs as a kid, uh, to a lot of the star players on the team. They would write back to me. Those wow. letters are in my book, whatever it takes. Uh, it was just a magical time. The Redskins did very well during that uh, era when I was growing up, uh, won three Super Bowls. You know, I'd run around, t- you know, my school and, and, and everybody kind of knew me as Dan, the Redskins man in my school. Uh, you know, I'd run around the school saying, you know, during the off season, Hey, it's only 221 days next Redskins game, because I actually kept an a countdown chart uh, to the next uh, season began on my closet wall and I cross out a, a day every night before I went to bed, you know, so it was it was just something that grew and grew and I had just this flaming passion, that this fire inside me for football and uh, you know, I, I I didn't get big enough to play, matter of fact, I played one year of high school football and I was so terrible at the guys uh, that I played left bench, I was the only kid on my team, in fact not to earn enough playing time to have a letter jacket, uh, so I was, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was really bad at playing uh, and um, my claim to fame was was uh, dropping interception. Uh, it, it was about 40 to nothing. They put me at the end of the game, and, and, and the ball went right through my hands, bounced on my helmet, and, and went to the ground. Uh, so so that's, that was that. Uh, I tried dabbling a little bit in coaching. In fact, I even suggested I drew up a play and, and made a play up uh, that I sent to Joe Gibbs with Washington Redskins again when I was 17. He actually used the play, and it worked for a touchdown against the Atlanta Falcons in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, that was a really cool time. Uh, cool experience. He actually wrote me back a letter. Uh, the letter from Joe Gibbs is in my book, Whatever It Takes, acknowledging my play, you know, suggestion. So that was cool. But my life really changed. Uh, and when I really kind of, you know, my, my passion kind of met my destiny, if you will, was when I was uh, 17. Uh, my parents gave me a book called Tony Rosano's Secrets of the NFL Scout. Uh, Rosano was the, uh, the scouting director with the uh, 49ers during the 49ers dynasty of the 1980s. Uh, he was the guy that recommended to uh, Bill Walsh, uh, the famous head coach of the 49ers, that they needed to draft a guy by the name of Joe Montana instead of the guy that uh, Walsh wanted, which was Steve Dills. And so thankfully for the 49ers, for their fan base, uh, they, they took Montana instead. And uh, But I, I read this book and I couldn't put it down. I said, this is what I want to be. I want to be an NFL scout. And I knew at that exact moment, guys, at 17, that I was going to be an NFL scout. So I started recording games, uh, writing reports, sending them out to the Redskins GM at the time, Charlie Cassidy, asking for an internship. He said, you're still too a little bit young uh, you know, to, to, to be out here, uh, but check back with us. Well, I barely passed through high school. I was so focused on scouting. I, I failed off a small community college in Minnesota, and I found myself at 21 years old working at Allstate Insurance as an uh, insurance agent. And that's when things, that's when I got my first big break. Uh, there was a local sports radio talk show 
show on. They said, hey, the first 32 callers call in. You can you know, come to the Minnesota Vikings headquarters, represent a team on the air in our mock draft. Uh, I had nine open phone lines, so I just started dialing like a crazy man. <laughs> and, uh, and and I got through, and they said, hey, congratulations. You're going to represent Jacksonville Jaguars. It was their expansion. It was the year they were coming to the league. They were an expansion team along with Carolina. Uh, you know, I grabbed all my reports, uh, took my uh, my buddy uh, from high school with me, and uh, we went out to the Vikings. And, um, you know, I was scared to death of public speaking at that time and they came back from the commercial break and said uh, okay and they motioned to me to walk up to the microphone they you know just like the nfl commissioner says uh, you know and with the uh, second pick in the 1995 draft the jacksonville jaguars select and i stepped into the microphone and said tony boselli offensive tackle usc and on the corner of my eyes i saw tony dungy who was a defensive coordinator of course Steelers fans will remember dungy uh you know he was sitting off in the corner as the defensive coordinator of the minnesota vikings at that time under danny green and i approached coach dungy and i said hey would you be willing to take a look at some of my reports he said you know after a few minutes of, of looking at them he said you know what this stuff is pretty good how would you feel about coming to my office next week and i was like oh absolutely you know so i you know i, I called in sick to work the next week uh, quote unquote and uh <laughs> and uh there i was with uh tony dungy which turned into a six-month unpaid internship wow awesome wow. And, and that, that what was that experience like with coach dungy there in that six month? what kind of stuff did you learn from him how how hands-on were you with sort of his scouting department well, what it was, it was, again, it was an unpaid internship. So he would bring me in weekly, uh, sit down. He would pull out old, his old scout reports when he was with the Kansas City Chiefs. He would compare them against my reports. We would talk about it. You know, he said a lot of my, the way I had the players ranked uh, from, from reports I did when I was 18. He said, this stuff is spot on. He goes, these guys were even selected in the order you had predicted. He said, this is, you know, so there was some of that he went over with me. He talked about life. He talked about, uh, you know, some of the things that undrafted free agents do and how they try to get noticed and the mistakes they make. Uh, he gave me assignments. I remember looking at the University of Tennessee for him, and he gave me like a few players to look at. Uh, it was just so it was just, you know, some talking, a lot of talking. He would just, you know, he'd go over things with me. It was just a, a very awesome experience where, you know, he and, and that's really guys where I, I I mean, I was confident this could be. I mean, I was like a bull in a china shop to begin with at that <laughs> age. But 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 having Coach Dungy, somebody of that caliber, recognize that, hey, this stuff is pretty good just gave me even more confidence and said you know what i have a defensive coordinator of the minnesota vikings senior telling me that this you know my work is 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 really spot on i know i can do this so it just kind of built my confidence even further at that point uh but it was an amazing six months and he actually introduced me to one of his best friends uh who was mark tressman who we played college ball with um uh, who's uh, the only coach in football history to uh you know after after all these years has, has developed two league mvps rich gannon with the raiders and of course uh, Anthony Cavallo up in the Canadian Football League uh, with the Montreal Alouettes. So, uh, so he introduced me to one of his best friends, and uh, it was just an incredible experience to learn a lot about life and a lot about football. Uh, you know, weekly with with Coach Donji. Wow, that's that's amazing. It's Gavin here. Can I, can I ask you those, those early days Gavin. when you were building up your your scout reports? How how were you how were you scouting the the college players? I mean, because it's, this is pre YouTube, right? Pre the internet. So what were you doing? Were you, were you videotaping a lot of college games and, and going through stuff that way? How were you doing it? I was, I was, Gavin. Yeah, I, it was, it was something where I had the old VHS, the VCR, the VHS tapes, uh, scotch tapes. You know, you buy them, uh, you know, packages of them at at, at a uh, store called Target here in the states. 
And, uh, you know, I would go ahead and just uh, record them off network television. So I, I had quite a collection after a few months of just I had stacks and stacks of games. Usually I could fit two games on one tape and uh, then I would go back through it and I would I would watch the games and, and, and refer back to Tony Rosano's Secrets NFL Scouting Book because he had so many examples in his book of different scouting reports that he had written uh, throughout the years. So I kind of cross-reference the book, write my own reports, kind of like go back and forth, watch some more tape. It, it just became to a point where I would I would just you know take my my homework and throw in the trash basically and it just get, just just to get just to get to the tapes and just just to get to the reports but that that's how it all started and you know with the uh, the remote control in my hand and just going back and, and watching every play probably two three four five maybe even six times and then taking notes and then once I had my notes done then I would construct the uh, the paragraph uh, scouting summary you had one of those old VCRs with the jog wheel where you could keep rewinding and keep jogging back. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. This was way back in the day. Uh, so, so, but uh, yeah. Those, though, you had to, they were hard to find those ones. You had to pick those ones out because not, not every VCR had one of those, right? Yeah, yeah, the old, yeah. The old jog no. wheel. No, but but it worked. It worked. It was functional, and it gave me a look at the players. I mean, watching games on TV on network television can be challenging. I mean, you can see all the players in the box, you know, the offensive, defensive linemen, linebackers, running backs, those types. But, you know, seeing some of the matchups with receivers, defensive backs, safeties, that type of thing, linebackers dropping the coverage, that obviously can be a little bit challenging depending where the camera goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, uh, have you still got the tapes? They're still in a, in a box somewhere? I don't have those tapes uh, through my many moves throughout the years. Uh, I've been all over the United States. I, I've spent uh, a lot of years in Minnesota, moved out to New York during my time with the Jets, spent 10 years in Arizona. I'm now down in Key West, Florida. So along the way, I've lost a, a little bit of the tapes. But I do have, I, I, I still do have my collection of every Redskins victory on VHS tape from 1985 to 1992. It's, a, it's in a plastic tote that weighs about 100 pounds. And my wife, Samantha, always says, are we going to drag that with us this time? I'm like, yes, honey, we are. (laughs) (laughs) So that's in storage right now. But we still have all the tapes. And she goes, when are you going to watch these things? I said, I said, someday when I'm old and gray, we'll we'll, we'll put them on. (laughs) Now, in 1998, you sort of decided to go off on your own and and collate a 350 page draft guide, right? Uh, At your own expense. Um, and you sent this out to teams, right, if I'm not mistaken? Correct, yes. It, uh, it was, you're correct. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, so, so, I mean, talk us through to the, through your decision to do that, because, you know, as far as I can tell, that, that was a pretty expensive endeavour. I mean, this went to every head coach and every, exec, uh, you know, executive in the league, right? Um, you know, how, how did this go for you? It was an incredible experience. You know, I, I was, you know, and somebody out there, probably one of our listeners need to hear this, um, you know, because we always see the, you know, the mountaintop experiences in life. And we always see the, you know, the guy with the trophy, you know, stand at the podium. But but there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears and a lot of dark hours, you know, sometimes before all that good stuff happens in life. And my story was really no exception to that. From the time Coach Dungy left for Tampa Bay when I was 21, I went back into the real world uh, after that unpaid internship, uh, selling vacuum cleaners door to door, bouncing around from job to job. Uh, I went through a really uh, a very difficult breakup with my first fiance. Um, you know, I, I got kicked out of my apartment. I, my, my vehicle got repossessed. I, I found myself at a different bar every night, uh, basically, um, or known as a pub as well. Of course, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, you know, trying to find the answers of life at the bottom of a bottle, which I never did do. Uh, but, but you know, it was a really tough time. I was sleeping on buddies' couches, uh, kind of bouncing around 
around and uh, you know I couldn't really hold down a job that well during the time I was just it's just really you know going through a tough time and so I'm 24 years old it's 1998 uh, three years flash forward uh, and I find myself I, I just got married to to another woman and uh, I find myself at Bank of America mortgage uh, it's a big bank here in America uh, working as a mortgage loan officer you know helping people get mortgages and stuff for their homes and refinancing that part of it. And I'm sitting there in this real estate law meeting. And uh, I mean, football, you know, no matter how, you know, how much I've tried to run away from football, it always finds me. And, 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 uh, you know, I'm sitting in this meeting and they're going over all this different uh, real estate law and, and I'm sitting there and I don't know if you guys ever been at this place or some of our listeners, but, you know, I was like, you know, what am I doing here? You know, I, I'm, I, my dream is to be an NFL scout. You know, it, it's, 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 it's better to go for it that, than wonder what always could have been. You know, being one of those guys someday sitting in the bar stool saying, hey, I could have been somebody or I could have been a contender, right? It, it, it's, I, I didn't want to be that guy. And so, so I said, you know what? I, I need to try to do this. And, and ideas just started popping into my head right here at this meeting at the bank. Uh, you know, you got a little satellite dish. You could record the games. You know, you, you, can, you can stop it on the way home, buy some pens and paper. I called DirecTV, uh, the satellite provider I had, and, and subscribed to their college football package. And once again, just like I did back when I was 17, 18 years old, I started recording all the games and going back over and trying to find every senior I could get my hands on basically to evaluate and I just started writing reports um, and, and the turn I, I had a, a considerable size of you know stack of papers after a little you know after a couple months so I would work at the bank all day come home scout all night it got to the point where I was probably only getting probably 10 maybe 15 hours sleep a night and you know, I just compiled these reports. And uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I saw a special on TV one night. There was a little receiver. Um, it was about two o'clock in the morning. I took a break to get, get a snack. And there was a special on ESPN about Wayne Corbett. You guys remember him at all? The little receiver out of Hofstra University, played for the Jets. Definitely. Yeah, and, and there, there was a special about him and how he was undrafted and how his dad tried to land his son an opportunity by setting out his highlight tape to every team in the NFL. And, and it was just that moment, guys. It was like that epiphany moment, the light bulb, the cartoon, the light bulb goes off over the head. It was that moment I said, you know what, that's it. I'm going to try to get in with all the teams in the NFL because at this point, I really had only been trying to get in with the Redskins. And I, and I, and when I started this project at the bank, I had resigned myself to just trying to get with the Redskins, but this special on TV kind of opened my eyes to, Hey, I haven't even tried to get in with the other teams. So I said, okay, well, how am I going to do this? You know, the first thought I had was, you know, putting my reports into a three ring binder and sent to all the teams. I thought, nah, you know, they'll probably take the reports out, throw them away, use the binder for something else. Maybe. Um, and my, my buddy at the, bank i was sharing this story with much much like uh, one of my colleagues much like i'm sharing with you guys you know he says well why don't you get your work you know put into a book format like publish into a book i'm like how do you do that and he said well you know call some publishers i said okay so 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 i started calling around the, you know minneapolis to st paul up in minnesota uh you know and i started you know talking to different people one guy liked my idea he said, listen, it's going it's go to cost $2,300, which, by the way, was all the money I had plus the next two paychecks. Um, he said, uh, you know, it's going to take about uh, probably about 85,000 sheets of paper to do this project because, wow. as you alluded to, uh, you know, it was good to be something where I, um, uh, you know, I sent out one copy of my draft report to every head coach, every general manager, and every director of player person on the NFL. I went into the extra mile and had each one of my books 
uh, specifically uh, personalized each one of their names. And uh, it was 350 pages. And I included all my handwritten notes, too, guys, because I didn't want anybody thinking I was copying Mel Kuyper, one of these draft gurus out there. I wanted them to see my reports were original. So I include all my handwritten notes with each report. And so by the time this whole thing was done, by April 1st of that year, before the draft, it was 350 pages, uh, you know, and it, it barely got done before the draft. And then I spent another thirteen hundred hours uh, on an overnight mail um, expense account, like a, like a credit account, and had the packages there about seven, eight, ten pounds a piece uh, sent out to every team in the NFL. Three copies each team, as I mentioned, uh, and with no guarantees. And, and that's important to point out. That, I mean, all my hopes, all my dreams, I was all in. I put everything I had into it, all my time, all my money, all of myself into this project because I, I knew that I needed to go for it with everything I had. And I did that, and I sent these books out all over the NFL and uh, just sat back and waited to see what the response would be. Wow. wow. Before, before we get into Gavin again, before, before we get into what Hi. happens next, I've got, I've got another question for you, which is where did you start? Because... I mean, we, 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 we try not, not to the level you're, you're, you're talking about here, but we, we've tried to, you know, go wade through the college prospects and come up with players that we think might, you know, might interest the Steelers. And so we, we know what we can, we, you know, we can evaluate and talk about the players that are coming out and, and who the Steelers might go for. Now, you're, you're talking about a draft guide of every college prospect. Where, where did you start? I mean, did you start with the Power Five and, and work through? Or I, I guess there was less kind of draft guides and online things that you could use. How, how did you go about this process? Great, great question, Gavin. I, I just started with the first game. You know, so if it was uh, Tennessee, I just, you know, turned on the tape and I, I looked up all the seniors on Tennessee and I didn't try to use any pre-formatted list, you know, where they said, well, this guy's really good or this guy's really good. I didn't want any other publications bias uh, to, to affect me or influence me in any way. So if I saw somebody who was a senior, who was on the field in front of my face on this television I was watching, and they were playing, I started taking notes on them. And, and so, so each, each team probably had maybe 18 guys I'd pick up on. So I was looking maybe at like 36 guys on every, every game. You know, and now obviously some of them would just kind of get shuttled in to be a, you know, be like a, a situational pass rusher and they didn't play that much. Or, you know, maybe it was a, you know, a nickel, you know, defensive back or, or a fourth receiver. So, so some of the guys I didn't get a lot of exposure with because they didn't play that much during the game. Uh, but, but the main guys started to stand out to say, okay, these are the guys I need to look at Tennessee. And then I'd go off to the next team I had a tape of and that, that would be Alabama. And then I would go to the next team. It'd be Florida, and, and then FSU, Florida State University, and so whatever whatever games I just kind of sequentially, you know, went through the games, um, you know, which whatever games I had recorded, those are the players I focus on in that order. Right. Okay. Because I mean, that's that that is tough. Because uh, were you it were is. you rolling rolling back on each play and, and watching each play five six times, offense defense? Okay, now I need to watch the lines going on because you know those those guys don't necessarily stand out. You need you need to focus on them initially right to, to see what those guys are doing absolutely and i had no idea who was good and who wasn't because it was my first look and like i said i didn't read anything i didn't look anything else i didn't want anybody else's opinion or, or any politics to to bias my opinions so when i turned on a tape it was just like wow you know this guy you know like you to your point this guy looks average this guy looks average this guy oh wow this guy looks really good he jumps out at me so i mean it was a process and, and that's why i was only getting probably 10 to 15 hours sleep a week because i was working full-time at the bank and then I was doing this for, you know, 8 to 10, 12 hours a night. Wow. It's just yeah, an I mean, insane amount of work, right? I, I mean, I, I'm coming at this. It's funny you say this because you, you bring up the VCR angle, uh, Gav, and, 
you know, I I try and do this, you know, as a silly 20-something-year-old with YouTube and, and all this, and I find it difficult. So, I, you know, I can't even imagine how you were doing this with such little, uh, you know, information at your disposal relative to what we have now. Yeah, I know. I mean, we, we, we basically start with the rankings, right? We, we, we kind of cheat compared to what, what you were doing. We, we kind of start with the projections and work our way through. And, you know, we, we use the information that's available to us. But sound, you, you were starting from scratch, man. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, I was. It was. Well, here, here's something that's even crazier. Get this, right? You know, Bill Belichick, right? His, his dad, you know, have you guys ever seen that book that Steve Belichick, Bill's dad, put out? No. No. Yeah, there's a book that Steve, if you guys ever get a chance to get Bill's dad, right, the the, the man behind the the greatest coach of all time, right? Uh, Steve, back in the day, I think it was for, uh, was it, he coached maybe it was Army, I think it was, uh, back in in 1940-something. He was the head coach there or something, and he would actually live advance scout, you know, teams with no tape. And so, so he would watch it. He would do all the reports in the whole live advanced scouting report with absolutely no film whatsoever. So, to your point, yes, it's very challenging to do the things that that I look back that that I did, and it was all consuming. But then I think of somebody like Steve Bilicek who did it with no aid of any tape, and I'm like, wow, that that blows my mind. You know, so so it, 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 because the amount of detail that goes into this is, is as you guys know from mm-hmm. from looking at tape. I mean, you, you got to look at every detail. You know, if he didn't catch the ball, why did he catch the ball? Was it was he trying to you know catch it with his body or catch it with his hands? And it's almost like being a private investigator. You got to answer these questions. And for me, I got to look at. I don't know about you guys, but I got to look at a play to this day three, four, five, six times and ask myself these questions. Well, okay, so he dropped the ball, but why did he drop the ball? Mm-hmm. What was the intention on the play? That's the, that's the hardest thing to know, right? You, you never know. Was it was was it a bad throw or was it a bad right, route? Route, you know. It's like you just don't yeah. know. You can't tell. And sometimes you just have to take a, your best educated guess. You're exactly right. Yeah. Wow. Just to, uh, to just going back to the story. So, so you'd sent these uh, these draft guides out. What was the kind of the reaction like? Did you get uh, sort of a nibble from quite a few teams or? I did. I did. In fact, I guess, you know, everyone talks about the, uh, you know, the, the point I've, I've finally made, you know, made it to the Jets. They're like, oh, that's incredible. I said, you didn't see the stack of rejection letters I got. <laughs> you know, it, it was uh, I, I every day for my lunch break at the bank, I'd go to my P.O. box and I would I would, you know, there'd be a stack, you know, probably be five, ten letters from head coaches, GMs. I mean, like personalized letters. It was really cool to receive. Um, you know, saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. We'll keep your information, quote unquote, on file, which means, you know, that basically it's going in the garbage. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's <laughs> uh, but I, I received a lot of rejection letters. And then one day I, I, my, I received a call uh, from from the New Orleans Saints. Uh, and that was my first big moment. Uh, all my buddies at the bank, right? If you guys like work at jobs that you got, you know, buddies, friends, right around you, mm-hmm. my colleagues, and uh, you know, they're all at the bank. They're like, did anybody call? Anybody call? Anything happened? And I had a pager at that time. Uh, this is going back a few years, and uh, you know, uh, it said, please call Bruce Lumberman, uh, college scouting director at the New Orleans Saints. So I was like, hey guys, the Saints are calling, and everybody, I mean, literally like five or ten people like left their desks at the same time, and they all went to the conference room, you know, the stand outside the doorway of, of the of the bank conference room and i called the saints and and the sc- college scouting director said hey listen mike ditka he was the head coach at the time really likes your book 
and 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 we have a position open that's you know for for the Midwest, the United States, uh, the, the big you know up in the Midwest area of, of the um, of the country, a college position open for college scouting, and and you know we like what you did, and, and we just want to let you know that other teams are probably going to be calling you, but please remember we were the first ones to call, and I said okay. And so I got off the phone. My buddies were all outside of the bank. And, and I thought I was going to the Saints. You know, I, I really did. And then two weeks later, the Saints called back and said, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, Bruce Lerman, I'm standing there, the phone up to my ear. I was just, it was just like one of those calls you never want to get. And he said, you know, I'm sorry. You know, one of our senior scouts uh, disagreed with what, you know, some of your evaluations. And because of that, we're not going to be able to move forward with any kind of job offer, any kind of interview. Or, you know, I was just like, you know, it was just like one of those, you know, I just stood there like, like just speechless. And uh, my buddy, again, at the bank, the same guy that recommended to me to, um, you know, turn my, my scouting reports into a book, uh, you know, he said to me, his name is Michael. And he said, my friend, he said, you know, listen, he said, uh, you know, I think another coach with as much passion, if not more passion than my dick is going to call you. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, I'm like, hey, thanks for trying to make me feel better, man. But, but you know, and, and he said, no, I, I'm serious. I really do. And two days later, that's when the New York Jets called. <laughs> So <laughs> he was right. <laughs> yeah, he nailed it. <laughs> he, he nailed it. He hit it out of the park, and uh, you know that, that was, it was incredible. But yeah, the Jets, the Jets were on the phone. So how how close were you to sort of giving up the dream at that point when when the when the Saints turned around and said it's not happening? I, I've never given up on the dream. Uh, the dream won't let me give up on it. Uh, it stays inside me like a fire that won't be quenched. Um, you know, it was discouraging. I, I, I will tell you that it was discouraging. It was it was almost like, uh, you know, maybe getting into the end zone to to, uh, you know, in the championship game. And all of a sudden you're starting to celebrate. And, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, wait, 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 John, wait, hold on, hold on. Uh, holding, holding number 74. You know, all of a sudden, oh, you know, it's just, you know, it's just like you just scored. You, you thought you were in, but you're not. And, and so it was very discouraging to me. And that's why, in all seriousness, I was telling my buddy, I was like, you know, oh, sure. You know, sure, somebody's going to call me like that. I, I really was discouraged, uh, you know, thinking anything like that could possibly happen at that point forward. I thought the Saints were my big chance, and I thought that it fell through. Wow. But it didn't, so what happened? You made, yeah, yeah, you made it into the Jets, right? So, so who were the characters uh, in and around the Jets? I mean, I know you've mentioned already a couple of the guys. Obviously, um, Bill Belichick was there at the time, right? And, and who, were the, who were the characters in and around the scouting department? Well, it was it was incredible star-studded staff. Uh, arguably, uh, maybe some people say the greatest staff in NFL history. I mean, we had Bill Parcells was the head coach. Uh, Bilicek was the defensive coordinator. We had seven coaches on our staff go on to become head coaches at the college or NFL level. We had uh, Romeo Cornell was on staff. Uh, Eric Mangini was there. Uh, but Charlie Weiss uh, was our offensive coordinator. Uh, Dan Henning was on staff. It was it was just a, an amazing staff of, of coaches. Um, and then on, on the scouting side of it, um, you know, we had, well, Mike Tannebaum, who's gone on to become a GM at different times. Um, you know, he was our, our contract negotiator. Scott Pioli was the pro scouting director. Scott, of course, is Bill Parcell's son-in-law. He's gone on to become NFL executive of the decade for his work with the New England Patriots. He ended up being my direct report boss in the pro scouting department. Uh, we had, uh, and then Scott's boss was Dick Haley, uh, who had uh, uh, built the uh, Steelers dynasty. Uh, which you guys will love to hear uh, back in the 1970s. And uh, he's the guy that drafted, uh, you know, Terry Bradshaw, 
uh, Mean Joel Green, Lynn Swans, uh, Stallworth, uh, you know, Jack, you know, Lambert, uh, all the guys, uh, you know, Donnie Shell, everybody he had drafted. Um, and uh, that's where my interview started with when I walked in the building. The first thing I saw when I walked in the building for my interview was a Super Bowl trophy from Super Bowl three. It's on the front cover of my book, in fact, whatever it takes. And then they walked me into Dick Haley's room and uh, he said, hey, welcome to the Jets. And he, he reached out his hand to shake hands with me. And I saw the big Steelers rock in his hand right when I walked in his office. <laughs> wow, how, how how intimidated were you? Be honest. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I was. I, yeah, I I, I was. It, there was so much adrenaline and so much energy going through my body at that point. It was surreal. I, I felt like I was caught up in a dream, like like I was sleeping. Like it was just it was it happened so fast. Um, I was very nervous. Um, and what made me even more nervous, uh, and of course, this is uh, Todd Haley's dad, right? The, the Dick Haley's a, a legend in the NFL. Dick Haley's uh, been in the league, you know, at that point for 35, 40 years. Uh, and uh, the thing that made me even more nervous was the fact that I had the Jets' top draft pick that year rated in my 1998 draft report as an undraftable reject. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Who that? Who that? Dor- Dorian Boos. Dorian Booth. He was their top draft pick. They didn't have a first rounder because it went to New England for, for the Parcells deal. Uh, but uh, they drafted this this kid, this defensive end uh, out of Washington State named Dorian Booth. And, and he was their top draft pick. And and on the table in Dick Haley's office, right, the architect of the Steelers dynasty, on his office when I walked in after he shook hands with me with that big Steelers rock in his hand, one of the four that he has, right, uh, he, he uh, you know, on the table was my draft report, my, my 350 page resume was sitting on the table and it was open up the Dorian Booz's report laying there on the table right in front of my face. <laughs> that was, that was intimidating. That, that part right there, there you go. That was, that was intimidating. I'm like, Oh wow. You know, that sounds pretty intimidating. Yeah. Did, did you back it up? Did you double down or what? I did. I did. You know, he was Dick Haley is very gracious. He's very classy. He's very gracious. And and uh, he's very secure in, in his own skin. Um, and I learned that as, as I worked with him through the, you know, the years I was at the Jets. But but I could even tell that in the interview because, you know, he, he took it a little bit easy on me. You know, he, he took he said, well, let's let's go into the draft room, Dan. And, and we, we went into the draft room and he sat down with me and you know, he's got this beautiful suit on the sharp, you know, the kind of black and white checkered suit coat and pants, you know, black pants. And he's got these fancy shoes on a Super Bowl ring and he's got these readers on these glasses and salt and pepper hair. And he's just sitting, sitting back in the chair and we're sitting in front of the draft boards and, you know, and and he was very comfortable, very easy to talk with. He asked me my opinion on some of the teams that I thought did well, uh, you know, why I thought they did well. We kind of went over that. He st- Then he started talking about I'm like, okay, I can see where this is going. Uh, you know, he started talking about the Jets draft. And he said, so tell me about Dorian. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, here we go. And I said, well, and I sat up and I looked him in the eyes and I said, well, respectfully, sir, I said, Dorian is a guy who, who to me played very soft. He's a guy that 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 did not have a lot of heart, and these are the games I saw him play. I thought he got tied up in blocks very easily. I, I didn't feel like he disengaged. I didn't feel like he played with any real strength or oomph. He didn't he didn't have he didn't have the it factor. I didn't feel like he had he had the will to win. Uh, he just kind of gave up when he was engaged in a block. He did it a number of times in this game, that, and this. And I kind of point out the examples of the games. And I said, I just don't think that Dorian has the heart. I don't think he's going to make it. And 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 these that's that's those are the reasons why 
and and he just sat there the entire time, kind of you know, legs crossed in a chair, kind of just looking at me intently, shaking his head, and and he was very gracious about. it. He said, "Well, you know, Dorian did have the same about the same size hands as me and Joe Green," and 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 I'm like, "Well, that's cool," you know, and and, and it's just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he started like drawing comparisons of me and Joe Green, you know, kind of physically in that part of it, and and he goes, "That's what we liked a lot of Dorian's measurements," and and I said, "Okay, well, that makes sense," and and he again was very classy about it. He just said, "Well, I, I can respect that." He goes, that's the thing about scouting is everybody sometimes has a different opinion and we'll just have to wait and see what happens. And he kind of let me off the hook with it, which I thought was kind of cool. And uh, of course, Dorian never amounted to anything in the NFL, uh, which, 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 you know, was cool the years down the road. But at that point, that was a very stressful part of the interview. And then from that point, they ushered me right into Scott Pioli's office. Uh, they took me out to dinner at an Italian restaurant. I hardly took two bites of food because they were rapid firing, asking me questions the whole time. Uh, and uh, uh, Pioli loved the Italian food. So he, he was, you know, he, he had a great time with it. And, and uh, you know, and then they, they brought me back to the hotel. Well, the next morning I woke up and, uh, you know, right from about 530 in the morning, my wake up call came in the hotel room and I went down to breakfast with my Tannebaum. He grilled me about the, you know, collective bargaining agreement. When I knew about that, the salary cap, he went from that back to the office, went right to Eric Mangini's office. Uh, he was a defensive backs coach at the time. And, you know, Eric asked me some questions in his office. And he, of course, he had all the football plays crisscross diagrammed over his walls on the grease boards and he, and he turned over my book and in the back of my my resume by 350 page resume my draft book right it, it said all i asked for is an opportunity and and eric mangini was looking at this and he looked at me and he held up my book he goes dan he goes what would an opportunity mean to you in the nfl i said it mean everything coach i said i, I it mean absolutely everything in the world i want to do this this is this is all i want to do and he says okay you know, he just like like he was satisfied with my answer. And then they brought me, they, they took me down to the defensive line room. Uh, they had me watch a, uh, a, a six games on a defensive end they had at the time named Rick Lyle. If you guys remember him at all, uh, they, they wanted me to evaluate him and see, you know, what my opinion was on Rick. And, uh, you know, they wanted me to write up a scouting report. And right when they put me in another room, the type, they kept moving me around. And they put me in another room to type up the report. Right when I sat down to start typing my report, in walks Bill Parcells. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was stressful. That was stressful. And he walked in. He says, hey, hey, Dan, uh, just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Bill Parcells. I want to introduce myself. I'm like, I know who you are. <laughs> big tuna. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like, you're the guy that used to dump Gatorade over your head. And he kind of laughed a little bit to kind of loosen up the tension I was feeling at the moment. And, and he says, hey, listen, I just want to introduce myself. You want a chance to meet you, shake your hand. He goes, you never know. We might see you around here again sometime. And he kind of smiled that Parcells type, you know, that classic grin that he has. And, uh, you know, he walked out of the room. And, of course, by this time, my head was just reeling. And I got done with my scout report on Rick Lyle. And, and Scott Pioli had asked me to bring it into his office and, and make three copies. I'm like, oh, geez, who the third copies for? I, who, you know, who's going to be with us in his office? And I, I walked in his room. It was overlooking the, you know, the office was, was overlooking the practice field, the pristine yellow, you know, fluorescent goalpost. And, and I walked in and, and, and Scott had me have a seat in front of his two chairs sitting in front of his desk. And uh, he said, well, have a seat here. And uh, he picked up the phone. He says, okay, he's in here. Would you please join us? And I'm like, oh, no, who's coming in now? <laughs> I'm like, what, 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 what's next? And, uh, and I was sitting there and all of a sudden the door opens and it's Bill Bilicek. <laughs> it's like an apprentice level like grueling interview i mean <laughs> oh <laughs> it was it was uh thankfully i was wearing a white shirt so they could see how much i was sweating <laughs> <laughs> uh, and bill i mean bill especially now you know is known for being stony-faced i mean how was bill in, when, when you got to meet him 
exactly like you just described. <laughs> Everything you see on TV is exactly what he was in person, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he, he walked in and I'm like, Oh, wow. You know, and, uh, you know, and, and so he sat down and, and, and Scott Pioli handed him one copy, my report, my scouting report, and Rick Lyle kept one for himself and gave one to me. And uh, Bilicek just kind of sat back in his chair, you know, crossed his legs and put on these glasses on the bridge of his nose and start reading my report. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, and I just <laughs> I felt like an eternity. And he kept looking at it and looking at it. I kept glancing at him. He was still reading it. And, and I'm like, OK, it's, it's like an attorney dissecting a contract the way I explained in my book. And, uh, you know, he takes the glasses off and he says, listen, Dan, he said, um, you know, Rick is a guy that plays for us in our 34 base defense. Uh, he's a defensive end that does a real nice job for us. He, he's a dependable, uh, you know, uh, coachable uh, a veteran player that we've had, you know, other places like Cleveland. Uh, you know, Rick does everything we ask him to do. Uh, Rick holds up the point of attack very well for us, uh, you know, so linebackers can scrape it and make plays uh you know he's he's a guy that's a dependable veteran he's not flashy he's not going to get you a lot of sacks or anything like that he said but he does he does what we ask him to do in our system and he's like explaining himself why you know what they have you know rick lyle do in their defense as a defensive end i'm like okay that sounds cool yeah thank thank you coach for the explanation you <laughs> know and, and 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 then he starts asking me about my tape collection my film collection and and you know all the games that you alluded to earlier you know that uh uh you know about all the games i had on tape and and uh you know he asked me about all the games i'd watched and and you know just I think maybe just, you know, trying to get, you know, get inside my head a little bit about how many games I had back in my house and stuff and, and how much tape I'd actually viewed and watched to do that 350 page report. And then he, then he kind of paused and he kind of stared at me for a moment and he just stared at me and, uh, and I stared back at him and, uh, and he said, uh, so tell me something, Dan, he said, um, what would an opportunity mean to you in the NFL? And uh, I looked him dead square in the eyes. I said, it will mean everything to me, Coach Bilicek. I said, I will do whatever it takes to succeed here. And uh, he just stared at me uh, for a good five, ten seconds. It's almost like the, the only thing I can compare it to is like when somebody who's going to bet on a horse or something, they, they, they look in the eyes before down the stables before they make their bet. And he said, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and he shook his head. He said, okay. And, and, and that was it. He goes, thanks for coming out to New York. And uh, I was like, that's it? <laughs> You know, I, that's why I didn't say it, but that's what I was thinking. And they ushered me back to the airport, and I went back to uh, where I was, where I lived at the time in Minnesota. And uh, you know, I waited for the phone to ring. It was a very stressful about a week and a half went by, and then the call came from Scott Pioli, and the uh, uh, was his call. I was waiting for my entire life. It sounds like you went through a car wash, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. It was definitely. Uh, it felt like it. That's for sure. Wow, man. Daniel, Daniel, this is uh, Rich here. Hi, Rich. For, hi. Uh, first of all, I want to tell you, re- have immense respect for you and, and for what you've accomplished and your, your passion in what Thanks. you do. Um, I, you're welcome. I think that, uh, I, you know, I'm a diehard Steeler fan, born and raised in Pittsburgh. Um, and But I have to admit, I think Bill Belichick's definitely head and shoulders the best coach in the NFL. And I think probably the greatest coach of all time, especially what he's able to do in the free agency time in the NFL. Um, my question is, what, in your opinion, is it about him that puts him head and shoulders above the rest? 
It's a great question, Rich. I, I think from um, uh, you know when I was when I was there uh, with 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 the uh, Jets, I, I got a chance to be around him every day. I, I think what it is, and and my scouting mentor in life is Lionel Vitel, who who is Belichick's most trusted scout for the Patriots' first three Super Bowls, and he and I have talked a number of times every week for the last twenty years, and he's he's kind of brought me into the loop a little bit too, a little bit more detail that I knew about about Belichick than I knew even when I worked with him. I, I think what it is is I is is what Lionel always tells me is that. Again, he's a college scouting director for the Cowboys. He always tells me, you know, every other coach in the league has plan A, B, C, and D, whereas Bilicek has plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. I mean, he's got he's 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 a step two or three uh, ahead of everybody else in the NFL, and that's really what kind of keeps him ahead of everybody else. And, and no matter who the people are that he has on the team, he continues to, to win and perform at a very high level. But that that's really the reason I point to is why he, he's able to continuously succeed regardless of who's there. I see. Makes sense. That's, 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 uh, I've, I've, I've thought something very similar. It just seems like he's, he's always a step ahead. He's, he's, he, he can exploit weaknesses in his opponents. His attention to detail was really what's always caught my eye and I just, it just seems like he does things better than everybody else. It's astounding. His attention to detail is astounding. You're exactly right. And I think that's one of the things looking back at the experience with the Jets that drew him to me was my attention to detail by including all my handwritten notes. Uh, he, he does, uh, he pays a lot of attention to details that other people may overlook. Um, and, and he's developed a system uh, that, that uh, is able to beat the NFL's, uh, you know, their, their, their selective process. And what I mean by that, I think it was back in 1989 or something around there, uh, sometime around there. Uh, Paul Tagalu, the uh, the former commissioner before Goodell, uh, said, you know, no more dynasties. I don't know if you guys remember that all, but when they expanded, uh, they, they, they brought new teams in the league. They, they said that, you know, what, what once was a third, you know, your, another team's third string quarterback will now be, you know, be another team starter. And, and they, they wanted to kind of dilute the talent level. And so any team could win on any given Sunday. Do you guys remember that? Yes. Absolutely. And, and so what Bill did is he, he and Scott Pioli were able to do was develop a system uh, where, and this is something a lot of people don't know uh, per se, but, but he was able to develop a system that was characteristic driven, if that makes sense. So he was able to, to, to recognize maybe four or five, what Parcells called them was critical factors of scouting, but he was able to identify four or five critical factors of, uh, that he wanted in a football player. And the first thing he did was, to my understanding, was was find scouts who possess those characteristics. So when he sent them out on the road, that's all they would see. That's all they would recognize is guys who had these characteristics, players, and they would bring those players back to Bill that had those characteristics that he desired to be on his team. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. absolutely. And, and so, what, what do you think they were? Just out of, out of, do you know off the top of your head? Uh, well, I have some insight to it. Uh, guys are dependable. I know a couple, two, three of them. Guys are dependable. Guys that are 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 coachable. Uh, guys who football is important to them. Um, those are three of them. Um, and, and so, so he finds scouts that care, you know, have those characteristics, and they go find players like that. Now, the interesting thing about about Bilicek, so um, I was going to say, so they're off the field things. Those those three things, they're not maybe not a lot of uh, scouting departments in the NFL aren't looking for those things necessarily. They're looking for measurables or particular, you know, high weight speed or production. That those those three things straight straight you mentioned there are off field. That's that's interesting. Great point. Absolutely, it's all off field. It's all about intangibles. It's all about the unseen. 
And, uh, and, and so what happens is, is I found out that, you know, whereas some teams in the NFL, you know, on draft day have, you know, maybe two, three, four hundred players. Some teams, uh, you know, have those names up on those boards. You know, we watch the draft. They, the whole the whole walls are filled with names of players. Right. Well, well, in New England, I found out that after they won their first Super Bowl in New England, uh, you know, Bill only had I think it was 70 players on the board the next year. Then the year after that, it was down to 40 players on the wall. And the year after that, he was down to 30 players on the wall. And that doesn't mean that the other two, 300 players won't play in the NFL, but he has identified the 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 guys in the college draft that can play that can be Patriots. And that's how he's able to continuously plug in the people, regardless, you just fill in the blank. Every year he plugs in new people in the coaching staff, the front office, you know, the, the you know, the, the players on the field. He's able to continuously plug people in because he he focuses primarily, to my understanding, only on the characteristics. Now these guys have to be able to play, right? You can't just have someone who's three foot five and 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 they weigh five hundred pounds, right? Uh, but but, but he, they have to have the ability to play. And they have to have the height, weight, speed that he desires. But if they do not possess the characteristics that he's looking for, they are not going to be a New England Patriot. And, and that's the way he has built that team and built that dynasty and built Paul Tagliabue, the former NFL commissioner's selective process. And when he said that, you know, any team can win any given Sunday, he's built the greatest dynasty instead in the history of the National Football League just based on, on his system. Wow. It's amazing. No. Yeah, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. I, I've learned, I've learned, uh, you know, a, a tremendous amount it, just even during my time out of the league. Like I said, I've, I've had the privilege of spending thousands of hours on the phone with his his most trusted scout uh, in the last eighteen years, and it's been like a it's been like being tutored by a uh, uh, you know a college professor. Wow. So, am I right in saying you you worked for the Jets for four years? Is that right, Doug? Yes, sir. So, so, you know, I mean, I mean, in that time, what were the kind? Of, I mean, I know your responsibilities varied. I mean, I know you attended the combine, and I think you scouted even NFL Europe, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, reading the SI article. Um, what what kind of things did you do on a, on a kind of a day to day basis? I apologize if that's a bit of a vague question, but um, no, it's okay. Just uh, you know, on a day to day basis, take us inside the kind of the life of a, of, of a scout in, in the office. Short answer, whatever they wanted me to. <laughs> Everything from uh, uh, breaking down, like like making highlight tapes of free agents, to uh, getting chicken wings for the game uh, for for the coach for the game planning. <laughs> Uh, it was kind of a funny, funny story. Uh, the, uh, Parcell's secretary walked in. There, there's a place in the states called Hooters Chicken Wings. You guys ever heard of that place? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, been, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so Parcell's secretary walks in the office, and, and of course, being the young guy, you know, the entry level guy in the staff, it was my job to go get the chicken wings on Tuesday nights for the, you know, game planning for the coaches. And so, Linda Leone, the Parcell's secretary, again, she walks in the office, she hands me two hundred dollars, two one hundred dollar bills, uh, you know, U.S. currency, and she says, uh, uh, you know, Dan, can you go get these uh, these uh, chicken wings? And I said, well, Linda, I said, uh, I think maybe you gave me too much money. I said we get these for half price. She goes, no, I know. And I was like, okay, so it's four hundred dollars worth of chicken wings. <laughs> and, and she's like, yeah, yeah. And make sure you don't forget Charlie Weiss's, uh, Coach Weiss's uh, atomic sauce. I said, okay, <laughs> you know. And, and so, so whatever the, you know. So I went to get the chicken wings, and, and all those stories are my book, whatever it takes. And and but it was a little bit of everything, guys. It was everything. I mean, the cornerstone of the operation was information gathering. Uh, you know, it, you know, gather it but never give it was the mantra around the building. And so so Bilicek and Pioli and Parcells and, and those guys were just fanatical about information gathering. 
uh, Tannenbaum too. And so, so, you know, they, you know, every day, you know, for example, when I got in the morning, when I first got to the jets, I used to type like one finger at a time. You know, I was really just like kind of pecking away at the keyboard. Uh, when I left the jets after four years, I could type 90 words a minute. If that gives you guys an idea. Uh, it, it was it was an insane amount of information uh, inputting into the computer system, our Jet Scout computer system. Uh, every morning, Scott Pioli would first thing would bring me a big stack of papers called Sports Scan. It was like a summary of every major newspaper in the country, and he would go through every morning and like highlight yellow with yellow highlighter of all the pertinent information that he wanted me to put into the players' profiles of each player. Uh, and, and so, so like if, if somebody sprained their hamstring, or, or you know that that was going in. If somebody had a DWI, that was going in their profile. If somebody you know, if somebody yelled at their girlfriend, that was going in their profile. I mean, it, it was something where where it was every piece of information. It, it, they were obsessive about information, uh, you know, it, and it helped them in their contract negotiations uh, to be able to to negotiate more objectively. Whereas Tannenbaum used to say that you know the agents try to negotiate more subjectively, and it helped them in their game playing preparations in the pro scouting department as far as the advanced scouting reports go. You know, concerned in the pro side because they were able to give all the information to the coaches in preparation for their their game planning that week, whoever we were playing. So there's a lot of information gathering, a lot of busy work, a lot of administrative work, uh, a lot of like, uh, you know, office work. Uh, you know, I had to organize with Jojo Wooden, who's now the director of with the Chargers of, of player personnel. Uh, he was a young guy in staff with me at the time. Uh, you know, we had to organize all the, the, the you know, the, the pro boards in our department, all the names had to be right. Uh, Parcells used to have a saying that that was one wrong, all wrong. Uh, so you never want to make a mistake. And if you did, uh, it was a problem. So I had to maintain like the integrity of all the rosters in the league, uh, you know, all the, all the depth charts of the league, uh, you know, make sure all the information was gathered uh, on lunch breaks. When our, when our department secretary, uh, Linda Mar would go on lunch break, I was asked to fill in for her and answer the phone. So all these big time agents, uh, you know, you know, Lee Steinberg, Jimmy Sexton, uh, you know, all these different kind of big time agents around the NFL would call and want to talk to Scott Peel or my Tannenbaum. I would have to try to get them, you know, get the calls transferred. And uh, it was it was just a, a lot of everything. And as you mentioned, four straight NFL scouting combines, the pro scouting department. I went there to help out. We went to NFL Europe. Uh, the season never ended. I helped out with tryouts when they came in. I picked guys up at the airport, brought them back to the facility. It was just, it was just, I mean, there was no off season. It was no downtime. It was always something to do. There was always another tape to watch. There was always another highlight tape to make. There was always something else to help out. There was always someone to pick up at the airport. There was always, you know, it was just a, a, a just a plethora of really unique and amazing and incredible experiences, a very vast uh, array of experiences uh, that were, were just, uh, was it was incredible to experience along with sitting in meetings. I had a chance to sit in some of Bilicek's defensive staff meetings, uh, sat in the back of the room and just absorbed his much as i could and uh you know it was just it was just incredible wow. did you uh were you in on on draft night were you in the draft room i was i was i was there uh it, it, that, that that brings back an incredible memory that you say that because uh you know when i was working in my draft book um you know i had one of my, my my best friends at the time you know he got a little bit irked at me because i was on such a tight schedule he wanted me to you know my wife and i to come out and have dinner with him and his wife and i said i'm sorry i, I can't do it and he says well what are you going to do when 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 you know you do all this work and nothing's going to happen and and and, and i was just like well, I, I said well, i fired back him i said it's going to happen i said next year i'm going to be in an nfl draft room for, for draft day 
And, and, and lo and behold, the next year, um, there I was. Um, now, I, I, I didn't have a chair because all the chairs were taken. So I was a young guy, remember. But I was standing in the doorway uh, when uh, Chris Berman, ESPN, came on and said, uh, you know, it's draft day. You know, the way he always winds up into it. He says, you know, and everybody was sitting in there and Parcells and Bilicek and all the guys, Tannebaum, Pioli, everybody was sitting at the back table. The phones were ringing. You know, teams were trying to work deals. And, and I got the chills. I, I was standing in the doorway and I said, wow. I said, uh it just chokes me up even thinking about it. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm here. You know, I, I went into the, to the men's room for a moment. I just had to wipe my eyes off and dry my tears. I have to, after a few minutes of it, I was like, this, this is incredible. It, it's really one of those moments that really hit me that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually here. This is actually, actually happening. How, how, how is that? I mean, is, is it, is it all very cool and composed or is there a lot of scrambling around last minute phone calls, panicking when the, the team in front of you takes the pick they want? And how, how, how was it? It was intense. It was intense. And, and, and Bill Parcells makes it intense. Um, you know, it, it's all the scouts were ruffling through their papers, uh, doing last minute uh, adjustments, uh, reading through the reports in case they were called on by, by Parcells. Um, you know, the, the back uh, table, again, was uh, Parcells, Bilicek, and, and, and Tannebaum, uh, and Pioli. Uh, you know, Dick Haley was back there, obviously, too, uh, all the directors. Uh, you know, the phone would ring, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, uh, Tannebaum had developed a system to give a numerical uh, point value for each player, you know, each player in the draft, uh, rounds, you know, one through seven. So, so Tannebaum would be back there banging on a calculator, trying to equate formulas and different stuff, if the trade made sense for the Jets or not. And he would give Parcells a quick thumbs up or thumbs down based on if it was a good trade proposition you know so i would sit back there and watch all this happening and then when it came you know chris berman at espn uh when, when it came time for the jets to pick um you know it became really tense in the room and he says you know chris berman because there was a freestanding television that, at the at the, in the in the front of the room and uh, chris berman espn says okay well the new york jets are now on the clock and of course they show all the fans you know they go they flash the fans and you know j-e-t-s the guy with the airplane on the head and stuff you know, <laughs> you know and, and 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 that's when it started and and the clock was you know from 15 minutes it was going to 15 minutes at a time for a first round and the clock started ticking and uh you know and, and then parcells left the room and and like nobody knows where he went and and uh it got more intense i think the clock was down to maybe and there was like an at&t like a big freestanding phone like a like a speaker phone in the middle of the room and we had doug miller our pr director at the other end uh at, in new york uh you know where the draft was occurring on the other end of the phone and uh you know nobody knew what we were going to do i sure didn't and uh you know parcells walked back to the room and uh, he looked at the TV and looked around the room and everyone looked at him. And I mean, you could hear a pin drop in the room. And he says, uh, part, this is Bill Parcells. He said, uh, okay, Doug, Dougie. And, 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 and the voice in the phone says, yes, yes, Bill, I'm here. He says, uh, Randy Thomas, guard, Mississippi. And, and, and Doug says, uh, Randy Thomas, guard, Mississippi. Got it, Bill. He goes, send the card in. And he walked out of the room. <laughs> and then, like, 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 you know, 30 seconds later, uh, the commissioner walks up to the podium and says, and, uh, you know, at the uh, New York Jets, like uh, Randy Thomas, uh, guard, Mississippi. It was just surreal, like, watching on TV and being in the draft room at the same time and, like, watching okay. that interaction was, yeah. was just was, was surreal. What about, uh, like, uh, later rounds? You know, day three guys. What, what, what's the process there? Have they literally got the draft board there and they're just working through and, and they're, they're, they're taking the top guy that's, that's available on the draft board? Or, or, or are there people pitching in, like the, the, you know, the special teams guys going, no, I want this guy. That, that, you know, he might not be up here, but I, I want this guy. Are there people making cases for different people later rounds? Or what, what's happening there? 
Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Choice, choice C, all the above. All those things you just mentioned are happening, uh, you know, especially as you move towards the, the sixth, seventh round. That's when the scouts are getting more vocal and more involved. Uh, some of the senior scouts, uh, you know, starting to advocate. And then when the draft is over, uh, you know, when it comes time to sign undraftable free agents, when teams are negotiating and offering, you know, small signing bonuses for, you know, guys to sign with us, that's when the scouts get really involved. And and, and the coaches kind of, just kind of, you know, gave way, yielded to those guys at that point as far as who they wanted to bring in what they wanted to do but uh it was the whole intense you know the whole, the whole process from from round seven all the way through the whole thing to sign the undrafted free agents the whole thing was super intense and of course i was you know the, kind of behind the scenes uh with jojo when i mentioned and you know we were just like uh you know making tags you know with the new names on putting them on the rosters you know correcting you know moving the guys on the teams they're on now and in, in the jet scout computer system and and uh you know doing whatever i could to help out whatever jojo could do to help out and then when the guys came in you know all the draft picks start coming into town then we would go to the airport and pick all the guys up at LaGuardia airport uh, in long island new york and bring them back to the facility and then we would help out mini camps and stuff so the whole process is extremely intense wow it's fascinating man so daniel I, I wanted to ask with um oh it's dave here by the way just in case you're wondering um hi with the sort of going? um <laughs> <laughs> with the sort of current we, we've discussed and sort of speculated in previous uh times with the current situation with you know with coronavirus and everything going on um and of course college football being cancelled it's um it, it, i sort of Draft scouts currently sort of wringing their hands. Are they have they got an, an alternative plan for what to do going forward? What's what do you think is going on? That's a great question, uh, David. What, what they're going to do is they're going to, from my understanding, from the people I know inside the league, is is there going to be a lot of scouts watching a lot of junior tape is what it's going to amount to. Um, and they're going to have to kind of do a better job or, or even, a, even a more intense job, if you will. That better is the wrong word, but a more intense job of projecting uh, since the guys, a lot of the guys aren't playing this year. So they're still going to do a heavy tape work. The tape work will be about the same. Uh, and, of course, it's going to be way different as far as not be able to go into the colleges as much, obviously, with the COVID. Uh, you know, because, because it, this is one thing I learned amongst a million other things uh, when I was with the Jets. But, but you know, I thought scouting was all about sitting down watching the film, watching the tape, and, and just writing the reports, right? Well, it, it's not. About 50% of the equation is information gathering. So when these scouts go into a school, into a university, uh, they're they're interviewing everybody from the coaches, the head coach, to to the, the staff, the, 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 the staff administrator, to, you know, they're talking to different people on campus, say, what do you think about, you know, what do you think about uh, Joe? What, what kind of guy is he? Uh, they're talking to the security people. You know, they're talking to the janitor if they can. Uh, some of the better scouts, they'll talk to everybody they can get their hands on the talk that knows the player or knows the players because they want to find out what kind of a guy is this guy, you know, because obviously the investment is so huge and obviously the PR is so huge that a lot of these teams don't want to get the wrong guy in the building for, for obvious reasons. Uh, so they're doing a lot of background work. They're going to practice or watching practice or talking to the team doctors. They're talking to, you know, trainers, you know, tell me about Joe, you know, what, you know, what, you know, what, what kind of a guy is he in the weight room? You know, all, all these different questions they ask and all this goes into the report equation. Uh, so when they're in draft meetings in NFL teams, they're talking about, you know, what, not only what does he do in the field, but what kind of a guy is he off the field? And, 
and then the the other big piece of it now is that you know a lot of teams, if not every team, has got a guy two or three that's specifically uh, designated to to look at social media accounts of these players. And that's that's yeah, absolutely. That's the big development. That's you know, somebody asked me last night on a show I was doing for for CBS that that the, the editor over the NFL editor, and he asked me, "Go, well, what's the biggest change that's occurred?" Uh, you know, I, you know, in scouting, and, and my response was the, the the intense, you know, looking at the um, uh, the social media accounts of the players is a big part of the equation, or, or a part of it, I should say, because yeah, because these players. Well, post so you remember last year, right? That guy in the Cleveland Browns, I think he was a safety or something. He got cut from the team because he made some kind of a threat or something to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, so they're, they're looking at the social media, they're combing through the Twitter, they're looking at the Facebook, they're looking at, at, at what, what, what does this guy post? You know, tell me about his friends and family. What can we learn about the guy from looking at his Facebook? What can we learn about him from Twitter? You know, is this guy a big political activist? Is he a guy that, that says some off, off the wall stuff? Is he a guy that, you know, does he have any gang affiliations? That's a big one. Uh, you know, so so they're looking at all these different uh, things that so so all these these components go into the scouting process. So so you know the scouts to answer your question, you know, getting back to what would they do this year? They'll watch a lot of junior tape. Uh, they'll they'll be making a lot of phone calls, calling their contacts at colleges instead of being in person talking to people. They'll be talking over the phone, uh, and they'll be you know probably looking at at some of the uh, social media stuff too, just so they can try to figure out you know get the big picture answer to what kind of a guy this really is. Well, that's interesting you say that because the, the, the draft that's just happened, the, obviously it, the kind of COVID hit just as a lot of teams were going to have their, their meetings, right? The, the, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't have any of their meetings. So people were saying it was going to be the first uh, draft done solely off tape. But also all of the character assessments would have been purely off the, stout, the scouts, right? Not, not the head coaches or the general managers or the kind of scouting departments wouldn't have met the players. So it, it's interesting to see, you know, maybe teams will learn a few things about their scouts. You know, I believe so. I think teams will learn a lot about themselves and their scouts and their coaches and their players uh, through this time. Because uh, as, as somebody once told me that, uh, you know, people are like sponges when they're squeezed. You find out what's really inside and and, and, and also how resourceful people are going to be. Because, you know, Scott Pioli, this is something that sticks to me to this day. Uh, Scott was was brilliant in a lot of ways. And, and, and Scott, you know, he would say to me, you know, like whenever I would run into a wall and I couldn't find some kind of information, he would give me an assignment. I'd get frustrated. I couldn't find something. He would say, damn exhaust your resources and and i'll never forget him saying that i can i can it's probably my dream some night it, it, it's it's but but that's so true because there's a lot of challenges but as the saying goes winners find a way to win and even with all the challenges that are going on you just have to try to find a new way of doing it and, and a more resourceful way of doing it to get the information in a different way than you used to get it no, I, I can't believe. Uh, I feel like we could talk to you all day, uh, Daniel. I, I can't. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want this to end. Please, no. don't end. Oh, that, that's good though, because I, I, I didn't want to take up too much of your time. But, but I did want to say, oh, I, I, never. When we talk about football, I, I, I could, you could ask my wife. We've been uh, I, usually usually you're sparing her because usually I'm talking to her about this stuff at coffee shops and restaurants. <laughs> no man, don't, don't talk to me about my wife. She just doesn't want to hear any more about football ever yeah. again. She's yeah. like sick of this. I know how you feel. 
<laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm making my wife Samantha my co-general manager, so she doesn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've got a couple more questions. Yeah, sorry, go, but you're not wrapping this up. No, I wasn't you? wrapping up. I was just going to ask uh, about sort of the, the the end of the time with the Jets and, and what what you did after that. But uh, but yeah, feel, feel free, Gav, if you've got something. In no, no, you go ahead. Mine, mine are more general. Kind okay, of looking yeah, back questions, yeah, so we can jump ahead. on in the end. So yeah, I, I just wanted to know, kind of, you know, what happened uh, towards your end of the time with the Jets, and then and then what was the plan after that? You know, what has led you to where you are today? And and uh, you know what, what are you up to now? Obviously, you mentioned you're writing for Sports Illustrated, but what what led you there? Well, it was it was incredible. I mean, it, it took me ten years to write my book, whatever it takes. So I try I tried to unpack this as carefully as I can. Um, you know, towards the end of my time at the Jets, I, I went through a, a kind of a backdrop of my four years in pro scouting. Um, it was it was I went through a lot of personal uh, challenges, and when I say challenges, I mean that my first season in the NFL, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, and I went through at 24 years old, I had to go through two major operations. Uh, one, I was on the table in the hospital in New York for eight hours. Uh, doctors told me I'd never be able to have kids probably. Um, and then, and then, so right after the AFC championship game, um, you know, I found out that uh, my first wife and I found out we were expecting a, a baby girl and, uh, my daughter Bailey Hope was born October 16th, 1999 and, uh, named her after Champ Bailey, uh, the, uh, the great, great <laughs> player. Uh, that's how big a Redskins fan I was, even though I was working at the Jets, which is a whole other show. Uh, but, but, uh, that's another problem too. But, 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 uh, you know, so, so Bailey Hope was born October 16th, 1999. And then that 15 months old guy, she was diagnosed with neuroblastoma cancer stage four. Um, and uh, she had a, they found a, a tumor the size of a, a, base, a softball above her left kidney at 15 months and uh, at 15 months old. And, and so I went through uh, six rounds of chemo, five surgeries and a bone marrow transplant before she went home to beat the Lord Jesus Christ on Christmas day in 2001, uh, December 25th. And uh, so all this was happening, you know, during wow. my- Wow, sorry. My, so how, how, she, she, how old was she? She was just a little bit over two. Man, and, and she had that? Yeah, well, she was 15 months old when she was diagnosed. Yeah, we, we, we didn't know. We, we were, you know, she just learned she was kind of a late walker. And, uh, and so she, she started walking late and, and, uh, and all of a sudden we noticed kind of a little subtle jump in her eyes. Her eyes would kind of flip back and forth, like really like dart. And, and one night she was inconsolable. We had the rusher into the hospital. She was just screaming and uh, the doctors thought she had spinal meningitis. They, you know, put the big needle in her back to test. And then uh, the doctor ran a CAT scan. He walked into the room that, you know, to tell as, as parents, um, you know, you guys got kids. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, he walked in the room and told, you know, told us the news that we know no parent ever wants to hear. He said, I'm, huh. I'm sorry, but we, we found a tumor. Man. I mean, was, but, uh, amazing detection though that they, they caught it. Right. I mean, it was, it was, they caught it. They, they were very optimistic at first. Uh, you know, they, 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 they thought they caught it in time, but then they did the pathology report and they found out that she, it was called in amplified, which means there was multiple copies of the, of the gene that produced the original tumor in her, in her, in her, in her body, in her system. Uh, so they said the cancer would spread and they had to outline the most aggressive uh, course of treatment, which included the six rounds of chemotherapy. And then uh, the last part of it was going to be a bone marrow transplant of her own bone marrow. Uh, so, so it, it was super intense. I mean, I, we spent, the last year of her life my first wife and i spent the last year of her life uh, before she passed away uh, you know living at the, this place called the ronald mcdonald house which is a, a local uh, like a, a you know it's a, it's a big deal mcdonald's right the ronald mcdonald house and mm -hmm. and uh, they had a, you know we stayed there and uh, it was intense because you know all throughout this you know this was all happening in my life 
as you know, as you know, I mean, you know, Bilicek left left with Pioli after my second season, my third season. Uh, Al Gro was the head coach with with, and Mike Tannenbaum was my boss. I was a special team scout, the first special team scout actually in NFL history. My my third season, the Jets, and then uh, you know that 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 didn't work out, and then they brought in Herm Edwards and Terry Bradway, uh, who is the uh, from Kansas City to be the new uh, GM, and so I had all these changes in coaches, management, you know, all these different things were going on, and plus all the personal things were going on. In my life. So they actually end up, you know, after, I mean, within three months, I lost everything. I lost my, 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 I lived down in New York for 9-11, you know, when the Twin Towers came down, I was, I was 30 miles away from ground zero. I talk about it in my book, whatever it takes as well. Uh, you know, I could smell the smoke from my, my window in my apartment, uh, you know, but, but within three months, I lost everything. I, I lost my, my dream job with the Jets. I lost my daughter and then my, my marriage ended in divorce uh, as well. And that was the end of my time with the Jets. They, they sent me to the NFL Combine, my, my fourth one. You know, they encouraged me to try and latch on with another, another team. They said they were letting me go. And um, and then I you know, found myself back in Minnesota. And that's when I started writing my book, Whatever It Takes. Uh, I met another woman. Uh, we got married. And, um, you know, she said, you know, you really need, you need to write this book. Uh, you know, you really should tell your story. And it took me, like I said, 10 years to write the book. And uh, it was it was the, the biggest professional challenge of my life. It was actually harder to get a book published than it was to make it into the NFL out of nowhere. <laughs> hmm. Wow. Man, Matt, you you floored me. I I actually don't know how you've you've got over that. What what, what you've just described there? Well, I, it's it's by the grace of God. Uh, that that's that's the only way I can describe it because uh, it was uh, it, it chokes me up even talking about. It. Uh, I delivered my my daughter's eulogy at both of her funerals. So we had one funeral service for her back in New York and one back for her where I'm originally from from Minnesota. And uh, it was it was it tore my heart out. It, it ripped mm-hmm. my heart out. It's it, so my, my little girl. She she was everything to me. And uh, you know and uh, you know had her laid the rest in her little princess uh, you know crown and and, and dress and and um, it, it gave her for a second birthday. And it was it was it was heart wrenching. It was it was. It was really, really difficult, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I, the doctor said, like I said, never told me I probably have kids. And then with my, my second wife, Christina, um, you know, we, we, we were blessed with four more children biologically, which is a, which is almost like a medical miracle after I had my cancer. And then, uh, you know, as so I was writing my book for those 10 years, it was probably about 2000 and uh, was it 2012. Uh, my youngest son, two, two girls, Victoria and Samantha, we were blessed with. And then two boys, Nathan, and Isaiah. And a little blonde boy, Isaiah, and he, he woke up uh, one morning and, and having a seizure. Uh, he was he was in the midst of having a grand mal seizure. Uh, he was about two years old. This is 2012, uh, you know, about 11 years after I lost my daughter, Bailey, and had to have him rushed into the hospital. And they did all the all the tests and everything else. And, and the doctor walked in again and said, I, I have news for you that's not easy to tell you. We found not one, not two, but three rare conditions. And this is my son, Isaiah James, now we're talking about in and they said uh, the first thing is he doesn't have the connection that connects to both two sides of the brain. Uh, the second thing is he has a large ventricle in the back left of his head. He's got excess spinal fluid. And the third thing is we found a brain tumor. Jeez. And I was just like, I was floored. Because doctors back in New York told me, you know, that, that the odds of two people in a three-person family under the age of 30 having non-hereditary cancer, which is what testicular cancer and neuroblastoma mm-hmm. cancer are, is astronomical. The doctor used to tell me, you have a better chance of winning the Powerball, like the lottery, than, 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 you know. Yeah. And so, so to be with a different woman 
a different mom and hear can't you know hear brain tumor was like winning the lottery twice. It was, it was like being struck by lightning twice, and so uh, that was super intense. So so my son Isaiah went through uh, two surgeries, two major brain surgeries, and uh, 350 seizures in a year's period of time. And uh, and, and by the grace of God, uh, to God be all the glory, he, he's okay. He just celebrated his 10th birthday, um, and uh, he's he's a little miracle boy. And uh, but yeah, that's been a lot of lot of stuff as a backdrop. Now in terms of football. Uh, when, once I got out of the league, guys, I was I was so I was that's all I ever wanted to do is be in the NFL, and and so I never I never saw a future without football, and so you know going back to Minnesota after I got you know released by the Jets, watching the Patriots win all those Super Bowls, I, I literally cried. You know I watched you know Pioli holding up the trophy. I watched you know I watched uh, you know all, you know the Patriots win, and, and I became so disillusioning. I needed to get away from the game for a couple of years, so I didn't watch the game for a couple of years on TV or anything. And then in 2006, God started slowly giving back the NFL. 2006, I, I almost uh, got hired by the Arizona Cardinals as the assistant pro scouting director. Uh, that fell through. 2012, I came face to face with Andy Reid. Uh, you know, I almost got hired with the Philadelphia Eagles. In 2017, I had a dream uh, that I was the uh, general manager of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I know you guys love the Browns. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I had a dream where the Holy Spirit of God told me that, uh, you know, I woke up and he, and, and he said to me, you know, send, send a letter to the, uh, the owner of the Browns and tell him you can put together a Hall of Fame staff within three weeks of giving the opportunity. And uh, I, I and send him a copy of your book, whatever it takes. So I did. I sent that, that card. I sent those words to Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, along with my book, whatever it takes. And three weeks later, he responded uh, and, and he, and, and he, and personally uh, in a letter. And he said, uh, Dear Daniel, thank you so much for a copy of your book, whatever it takes. Please know that we're trying to, you know, feel a team that Cleveland richly deserves. And if you have the time, feel free to send me your ideas. I would love to take a look at them. Sincerely, Jimmy. And so that that turned into be a 166-page uh, proposal that I wrote over the next seven months. Uh, this is 2017, um, and 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 this, you know, in in that time, um, you know, and I sent it to to, to Jimmy Haslam at, at that point, and we we took we went the extra mile and actually flew from from uninvited from Phoenix to Cleveland, uh, spent over over a hundred thousand dollars of time and money into the invested into the uh, the journey, and uh, walked into the front doors of Cleveland Browns, attempting to meet with Jimmy Haslam. And uh, my, my wife and I, and, and we were turned away at the door, you know, by the security guy. But but I'm writing my next book about. It. It's called The Dream. It's 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 it's, it's the impossible story of of two. <laughs> fans attempt to become the GMs of the Cleveland Browns because I was going to make my wife the my, my co-GM um, and uh, first first female GM in NFL history and we, we were going to do this and, and it was 166 pages of revolutionary ideas that I, I told Jimmy Haslam I said if you give me the chance or I'll build the greatest dynasty in the history of the National Football League and would you, um, um, you know, would you have drafted Baker Mayfield uh, no <laughs> <laughs> no no, I would I, 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 I have a more controversial one than even that. Uh, I, my, my guy was Tim Tebow. That's the guy oh, that really? I, is my. Yeah, I, I love Tim. Uh, Tim. Tim to me is is I, I wrote an article for Touchdown Europe in 2014 that I call Tim Tebow a future Hall of Fame quarterback. I, I loved him, and uh, that was the guy I wanted to be my quarterback. But uh, yeah, no. You know, it, it, it was an incredible experience. And then last year in 2019, um, I uh, got a call the blue from uh, Bruce Allen um, in last September, the uh, president of the Washington Redskins at the time. And he said he got a copy of my book and he said he just had to talk to me. And that ended up, he ended up flying me out to Washington last October. And they put me up over the weekend, had a chance to interview with Bruce Allen for a position in coaching or scouting. Everything was great. Bruce loved me. I love Bruce. Everything went really well. And he said, I'll contact you after the season. Of course, Bruce got fired on Black Monday. 
So that uh, that fell through. That's how we ended up in Key West. <laughs> oh man! And that takes us up to now, right? Are you writing for SI for the for yeah. the for Lions? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a been a very incredible opportunity. Um, and and I didn't even mention to you guys that that you know in 2013, um, you know, as I was going, you know, right after my son recovered from his brain surgeries and everything, um, I came home one day to a dear John letter waiting on the table for my second wife, and she took my kids and moved uh, 1,200 miles away with them, and uh, went through probably the hardest year of my entire life. And so I, I lost another four children uh, that were taken from me, and then I met my wife Samantha, uh, who I'm married to now, and. And, uh, and she's been incredible. She, she's from day one. She's believed in my dreams and encouraged me towards my dreams. And uh, so we live here together in Key West. And, and you're right. And, 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 you know, she's always telling me you need to move back towards, you know, try to get back in the NFL. And, uh, you know, so the opportunity with Detroit Lions came up the right for Sports Illustrated. And I was like, wow, this, this is, a, this is a, 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 a dream as well, you know, to be able to write for them. Cool. Wow. Fantastic. So, uh, I was just going to say, I mean, I for one am glad that you uh, you, you didn't manage to get that job in the, with the Browns because I've got no doubt that you, you would have done that and uh, maybe we'd be, <laughs> we'd be looking at a Browns dynasty in the AFC North. Hey, you guys are celebrating. I, I can't see you over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> celebrating. That's awesome. <laughs> I've got so many questions. I've got to keep them short because I know Simon's looking at the clock, worrying about how long we're running. <laughs> firstly, fine, firstly, I, let, let me just fire them off quickly. Holding, firstly, my wife is holding dinner, so she's looking at me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, firstly, you mentioned Tim Tebow. What? Why do you like Tim Tebow so much? Loved him. Loved everything about him. Uh, loved the intangibles. Uh, felt that, uh, you know, I sat in front of an auditorium of 400 people at the scouting combine for sports manager worldwide and explained this, uh, you know, why I thought Tim was going to be a superstar in the NFL. He's loaded with intangibles. He's a natural born leader. Uh, his, his, his anointing from, from Jesus Christ is amazing. His, his way he carries himself is amazing. Uh, he's a guy that can turn around situations. He's been a winner everywhere he's ever been. He's been a guy the odds have been stacked against him every everywhere he's turned i mean a doctor told his mother to get an abortion basically and and, and, i mean ever since that point uh you know he's been raised he was a homeschool kid he won a state championship in, in high school he won a national championship in, in college for Florida. He came in, you know, I, 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 what he did in Denver, the Broncos were one and four. He Don't came in. Us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I'll be real quiet on this one. We'll kind of, <laughs> we'll kind of gloss over this for the for the for our listeners. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, but, but but you know what he did that season, and, and he's always won every other place he's gotten a chance. He's done well in the preseason stuff. But uh, T- Tim's a natural born winner. He's a natural born leader. He's a guy that resonates with me through and through. And he's a guy he, that I it's played. interesting because he he ended up on two franchises that you've you've mentioned the Patriots and, and the Jets, and and they didn't really have a role for him. So what, what do you think? What do you think went wrong? Why do you you think it didn't quite work out for him? I don't know. I, I really don't. I, I think, you know, as I wrote in my article, I think he scares the hell out of people, uh, you know, because it, what he does is he, um, you know, everybody in the field knows what he's going to do and nobody can stop him. You know, and, and I think that's part of it. And also, I, I when I when Andy Reid, I almost got hired by the Eagles, so he actually ended up there too. So everywhere I went, he ended up going. Or it was just weird. And and but uh, I, I don't know exactly why it didn't you know work out. That's my best guess. Uh, but sometimes the stuff just comes down the timing. And and still to this day, I mean, if I was if I got a call today from an NFL owner and they said, okay, we want you to come in here. You know, I want to talk to you about being our general manager. I would walk in there and I would say, you know what, Tim Tebow is my franchise quarterback today. I would make that announcement. The opening press conference, I would like to introduce to you, ladies and gentlemen, my franchise starting quarterback, Tim Tebow, because to me, he is he, he, it's not only what he does on the field, but it's also how he elevates everybody's play and, and can carry an entire locker room and entire team. 
Okay, so full of intangibles, full of the off off field. So that's that, that's kind of the pedigree that you've talked about, where you, you your kind of roots, where you've come through with the the NFL. Absolutely. Um, I've got another question for you, which I wondered if it, maybe this goes back to when those days when you were writing those full scouting reports. But um, do, can, can, maybe this is a bit unfair. But can you can you remember one player that you got completely wrong, and also another player that you got right? despite the consensus when everyone else was wrong about? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Uh, a guy like that, Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf is a quarterback that comes to mind, uh, the guy that was drafted number one overall. In my 1998 draft book, I had Ryan Leaf raised my number one quarterback, and I had Peyton Manning ranked as my fourth-rated quarterback. Uh, I, had, I, had, I had Ryan Leaf number one in my book. That's my resume. Again, I got hired with the Jets with. Uh, no, Ryan Leaf was number one in my book. Uh, number two was Brian Greasy. Uh, number three was uh, Dan Gonzalez. Nobody remembers him. Uh, and that's for a reason. And number four was Payne Manning. So that that was that was uh, as as my mentor Lionel always tells me he says if I ever hire you he goes you're not touching the quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that that was that was uh, that was interesting. So that was uh, that was one I got wrong. But I felt I felt okay about it because Bobby Beathard, who's my, uh, you know, the guy I think is 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 arguably the greatest GM in NFL history, the Hall of Famer Bobby Beathard. Uh, he, he drafted uh, Ryan Leaf number one overall with San Diego at the time, so I, so it makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, you know, a guy that that you know I, I really like to kind of went against the grain. I, I would I would go back to Tim Tebow. Uh, you know, as a guy that stands out right away, that is a guy that I I absolutely loved and and not a lot of people liked. The only guy that really really loved him was Josh McDaniels, who was. Uh, of course, in Denver at the time, who was uh, Belichick's protege. And also, interesting enough, the, the guy that Tony Dungy introduced me to, Mark Tressman, loved him. Uh, matter of fact, Tressman was his quarterback's coach. Uh, uh, Tebow hired him uh, for his uh, draft uh, preparations. Uh, so, And Sam Weish loved him, too. Uh, the old legendary coach, the Bengals, uh, you know, Bill Walsh guy uh, loved him too. So, so some, some people really loved him, but most people really didn't like him. And, uh, you know, I look at what he did in Denver that season uh, was, was remarkable. And, 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 and I took a lot of heat for it, um, but uh, I, I loved him. Okay. That's interesting. I've got, I've got so many questions. I'm just going to fire through a couple. Have you, have, have you thought about making a YouTube channel? Is that something that's come across? Because there's so many YouTube scouts now that just, you know, dissect, cut up tape for everyone and just chop it up. Have you, have you ever considered doing that? Great, great question. And, and I appreciate the confirmation because I actually just started one a month ago. <laughs> okay, and promote it. What's the channel called? It's going to be Whatever It Takes NFL Talks. Okay, what's, what's the, what, what are you going to be doing there? What's the outline? Uh, basically just kind of sharing some stories from my past along with interwoven. We're talking about different, uh, NFL, what's current happily uh, currently happening in the NFL, my take on it, along with talking about players, you know, much like it's going to be much like we're doing today on the show, you know, just talking about different players, different events, different things, uh, kind of like being a reporter in some aspects, but also sharing some cool stories along the way, because people have always encouraged me. I mean, there's so many stories I have from the past, uh, everything from the time I, I, I got Walter Payton on the phone as a kid, uh, I, I, I one time and I, you know, I could talk about that experience. I met Jim Brown at the airport uh, when I was uh, about 10 years old. Uh, it, it, there's so many different stories. I, Lawrence Taylor was around me in practice. Uh, you know, there's so many different things I could talk about. Uh, so I want to interweave some of those stories uh, as well as just talk about, you know, what's happening in the league and also talk about matchups, players. And also I have people inside the NFL that, you know, give me inside information that I can break stories with and stuff. Sounds good. I'm going to subscribe. You have to uh, send us all the link. We'll we'll tweet it out. Uh, we'll we'll get we'll get some some of our followers checking it out. Okay. Awesome. Thank, you. Thank you. No 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 worries. My last question. Um, 
uh, I, I, we, we've been through a cancer uh, situation in my family as well. My missus had breast cancer a couple of years ago. And uh, as, as you know, that never leaves you. Like you, you're constantly having questions. You know, a letter comes for a, a scan results. You don't know what that is. You spend two days, you know, staring into the abyss. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, but just, you know, we're, we're all guys here and, and you had uh, a testicular cancer. How, how did you find that? I mean, was it just a case of finding a lump? What happened there? Just, 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 just as like a sort of almost public service announcement. How, how can we help find that? Absolutely. And how is your wife doing right now? She's great. She's great. She's awesome, good. Awesome. Good, good. Thanks for asking. Uh, you're welcome. Of course. Of course. Um, yeah, it's scary stuff. Uh, the C word is scary. Um, you know, it's interesting you ask that because uh, testicular cancer is uh, is a cancer in young men. I think it's most prevalent between the ages of 17 and 24, uh, from my understanding. It's something that a lot of people don't know about, um, and it's something that uh, comes up pretty quickly. Uh, matter of fact, I know somebody from my high school that was a couple years ahead of me, older than me, that actually died of testicular cancer because he got embarrassed and he thought he's had swelling down there in that region of his body and in the testicle area and uh, he thought it was an std and and he got really embarrassed and he didn't say anything well he waited too long and it was too, they couldn't treat it um you know so so uh, you know when i when i had my my testicular cancer i, I thought it was stress related you know i because i'd worked uh, you know a gazillion hours a week uh, during you know with my draft book and leading up to getting in with the jets so my first month on the jets uh, team uh, you know i noticed some real sizable swelling down there uh, real noticeable i mean it was like like it like blew up like it was like really really bad and and i, I it, it's like really i was conscious about it and and i was like i, I got to go get this checked out so i went to the doctor's office and he looked at it for about five minutes and the older guy and he said you you got testicular cancer and 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 so you know that was kind of the you know but outside of that i mean you know i didn't really notice any difference besides the swelling uh the considerable swelling and um it's something where you know the, the good news about testicular cancer actually my wife and i know somebody down here in key west who's this woman whose son is 22 year old son is going through testicular cancer right now and uh you know we were talking to her about it too and and the thankful thing about testicular cancer is it's it's one of the most, if not the most, treatable kind of cancer a person can get. Like if there's a good one to get, right, quote unquote. <laughs> if there's a good one to get, this is it. So it, you know, so young men, you know, make sure you just you know, you know, just just keep an eye on things. You know, keep an eye on things. If you know a swelling, you know, do some research on it because I think there's other ways too. There can be some other symptomatic things that people can see. You know, and again, um, if if you are ever diagnosed with testicular cancer, just remember back to this podcast. Remember that somebody who's been cancer free for 22 years was on this show with cystic cancer so it's not like you can see because when i was 24 years old I, I thought when I heard the C word, I was a death sentence because everybody I always you know, heard of that had cancer died. But but I'm here to say that there is hope and an early diagnosis is a big key of that. And so just stay on top of it, research it, Google it, you know, find out what you can about testicular cancer. Even if you don't ever have it, hopefully knock on wood, uh, you know, you, you can always tell people and spread the word, uh, you know, about it. Yeah, it's so true, man. I mean, we, 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 we tend to avoid cancer. Everyone runs away. They turn off their TV or radio anytime any the word comes up because they don't want to know about it. But it, it, information is key, man. Like uh, I, I've, spe I've learned so much. I spent some time with my missus doing chemo. You, you just learn so much what's going on on, on those wards. And, and also my dad was, was had the same, the same exact same cancer as James Conner did, but he, he went he, back in the 60s and he was given, you know, 
couple of weeks to live and he actually he pulled through and no one knew why because there was before chemotherapy he was just given radiotherapy to treat the the secondary the tumors and and the, the the primary cancer wasn't treated he was just they were expecting him to die and it just went away so it, it can happen but it it, it it it's such a scary thing because it's there's so much doom and gloom and we i just feel like people should talk about it more and discuss it more and know more about it and then we can all just have be be, be better prepared and get better early diagnoses because that's so so important you're right 100 percent correct i agree with you that's a great scatter report right there Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Great evaluation. Uh, just like Bill and Chuck said, information gathering is is key, and knowing the right information can really be key in that in the game of life. Absolutely. Right. That's the end of my questions. Okay, I'll open up the floor. <laughs> yeah, you've done. Uh, uh, any questions from from Dave or, or Rich that, that are burning away before we before we wrap it up with Daniel? Oh, I could I could sit here all day and ask Daniel questions. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I could answer them all day. I, I I love talking about football. Like I said, it's exciting for me. <laughs> but I do really really appreciate um, the time that you put aside for this, uh, Daniel. We're all we're all huge football fans, and we all have a passion for the game as well. And and to talk tell. to someone that has achieved what you've achieved, it's just a great great treat for us. And we really thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome, guys. I, I equally, uh, I can tell you guys are extremely passionate uh, I, I, to do what you do on, on this on this show, and, and and I really appreciate you saying that. It means a lot, and uh, you guys are good at what you do, and I, I just appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and talk about this stuff because you know the, the story is, is it's not just look at me, hey, look at this, look at the book. It, it's really a story. It, it's my my main goal in this whole thing is really you know trying to let people know that nothing is impossible. You know, impossible was just a word in the dictionary and if you have a dream you can achieve it i mean and because I, I wasn't a guy that you know i i didn't you know my dad didn't know bill Bilicek, my, my my uncle didn't know vince Lombardi. you know it, it, it's 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 I, there was no nepotism cronyisms or anything like that it was it was just i, I didn't have a network i didn't know anybody and, you know I, and like i said i barely passed through school I, I was no good at playing the game but but i i made it on the jets what these people were talking about so if you have a dream uh you can achieve it and, and there there is hope no matter you know beyond the game of football there's hope to get through any adversity in life uh, as well so so you know the, the main message here is don't give up and uh, you know I, I think somebody needs to hear that today because uh, we're living in some pretty uncertain times but but never give up because uh, you know great things are ahead for you in your life I, I can I can tell you that from experience thanks man that's a great message thank you yeah you're welcome you're very welcome thank you Absolutely, yeah. Just to echo that, thank you so much for for taking the time to to join us today, Daniel. It's, it's an inspirational story, far more than you know. I think it even came across reading about you before you came on the show. I think, you know, we, we've learned a lot about you just just from talking to you today. So, um, yeah, no, I really appreciate it. It's, it's been excellent. Um, so, just, lastly, because I said I would forget, um, where can people find the book as well if people want to get in in touch and and, and buy that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's it's uh, my, my book website is whateverittakesbook.com. Again, that's whateverittakesbook.com that kind of talks a little bit more about the background, the story. Uh, there, there's there's some stuff on there, a couple sample pages even. Uh, if you, It's available anywhere books are sold online. So if you, it's available in 11 different countries. Uh, Amazon is, is probably the one that people most people go to. Um, and and uh, it's also, um, you know, Barnes & Noble is another big one that has it online 
online bookstore. And uh, but yeah, it's available anywhere. If you type in Daniel Kelly, whatever it takes, uh, Daniel Kelly NFL, Daniel Daniel Kelly NFL New York Jets, uh, you'll see like a lot of different places is listed. Uh, there'd be some sample chapters I think that are uh, people have published uh, over time and things like that. So and of course my Twitter account is at Daniel Kelly Book, uh, where I post some stuff on there about football and 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 stuff too. So but yeah, I'm all I'm all over the place. All you gotta do is type me in and look for me, and you'll you'll find the book. Amazing. Thank you so much. So, you know, go ch- go check that out um, at Daniel Kelly book on Twitter, as, as he just said there. Um, I'm going to propose to you guys that we maybe wrap the show here and, and skip Kebab Corner this week just because we've gone on a while. Is that okay with everyone? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think maybe just maybe just given the tenor of the conversation, I think we've wrapped that up perfectly as well with Daniel. So, um, yeah, so we'll wrap that up there. Thanks so much for joining us, as always. Um, follow the show at UK Steelers Pod. Uh, follow me at Cy Wrote This. Follow Dave at This Is Dave Hart. And follow Gav at GM Boom Up, all on Twitter. Uh, and follow Rich on Instagram at stunt underscore Batman. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Daniel. Um, and have a great week, everyone. Hey, you too. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And, and all the best this season. I hope you enjoy the football. Thanks. Awesome. And see you later, guys. Take Bye-bye. care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>